0: Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore Punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label. and Now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to episode 46. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. Make sure you give us a follow on Instagram at enterprisehardcorepodcast. Uh, you'll find information on all the upcoming episodes as well as previous episodes on the Instagram. Uh, speaking of upcoming episodes, uh, the next three episodes will feature uh, Dylan Wainwright, Chris Ring, Mike Benlin, and then uh, episode 50 is going to be the top 50 breakdowns. Uh, we're, we're still working on that. A uh, couple upcoming shows coming up uh, today when this episode drops, uh, hopefully Wednesday, Uh, Leaking Head, Only Shallow and a couple other bands are playing. Um, I'll have the flyer on the Instagram for that. New Year's Eve at the Bug Jar, uh, my buddy Jared's doing Destroy Rochester, Uh, It's the Weight We Carry, Gel, Exhibition, Smash and Grab, and a bunch of other bands. Uh, Again, I'll have the flyer uh, posted everywhere for that, it already is, so just keep your eyes out for that. Uh, So this is going to be a fun episode. Kind of keeping with the theme of recent episodes, we're going to be talking a lot about the early 2000s with a band that I actually brought to Rochester a few times. And they recently uh, had a discography LP come out, which is pretty cool. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, So I'm going to be talking with Greg and Donnie from 1UP. And currently, uh, Donnie's making uh, some food. So how's everything going with that for you, Donnie?
1: Uh, Rolling pizza is a very interesting thing. I've never done it. I don't have a rolling pin. I'm using a water bottle to... uh... (laughs) <laughs> to roll this pizza stuff out. It's kind of funny. It's kind of fun, I guess. So it's, uh, it's going
0: well. Did you make menu. the dough
1: from scratch? No, I buy it from Whole Foods. It's
0: very delicious. Okay. Yeah, we've been buying our dough kind of pre-made recently, too. We, we would do the, the rollout stuff sometimes, too. But uh, that was Greg, too. How's everything going for you tonight, Greg?
2: It's going. Yeah, I'm stoked to talk uh, about, you know. I, I like that there. it seems like there's uh, this, like, renewed interest in the early 2000s which i guess you know we're coming up on 20 years since then so i feel like this discography kind of inadvertently came out at the right time um like i'm looking at i'm looking at it now we finally got the copies like i was telling you before we started and 2002 is 20 years ago as of like in the next six weeks you know so it's like kind of nuts
0: yeah it's funny you mentioned that the 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 Anniversaries basically because I was I've been kind of planning out next year's episodes for the podcast and that's what I've been kind of thinking about like, not to spoil too many uh, plans that I've already started making but there's a lot of really cool anniversaries that I kind of want to devote a few episodes to whether it be 2002, uh, even 92. And then if you go back to like 82 even like that's that's a really crazy year for uh, records, obviously. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but 2002 is something I started thinking of initially uh, because that's something that we were obviously all there for. So, that's something we'll obviously be talking about a lot today. Now, usually, what I like to do is like when I have a guest on, we'll kind of go through like all the bands they played in, their upbringing, and like all that. But, like, obviously, having both you guys on tonight, we're going to mainly kind of stick to one up. So, maybe we'll kind of briefly talk about with each of you guys, like, kind of what brought you guys like to the path of one up, so to speak, you know what I mean? Sure. Right.
2: I'll, I'm going to defer to Don just cause uh, you know, I, I always, people probably t- already tired of hearing my voice. They hear it every week, but I will, you know, but I'll let Don start and I'll fill in the gaps.
0: So, okay. so Don, I guess just briefly kind of tell us, you know, your upbringing quickly, I guess, kind of, and then tell us more like about, you know, getting into hardcore and like any bands you played in prior to one up, I guess.
1: So my first experience with punk rock and hardcore was uh, well, I played in a pop-punk band called Public Urination. So it was the first band I ever played in. Uh, legendary punk band in Philadelphia. Everyone knows them. Greatest band ever. Um band no one's ever heard of. <laughs> Unless you saw us play like three shows that were actually good shows, no one's ever heard of us. But after that, I played in a couple other bands. I filled in with some other bands. Um, I actually met Greg because I played guitar in a band called intention and then after i quit the band greg started playing bass in the band and we weren't friends at the time so like i'd see him at shows I'm like oh, that's that dude in that he's in that, that band i used to be in oh okay all right all right which later
2: you know those intention guys that ended up being uh zach amster who went on to uh you know knock down while well, they were full contact at first um, Which fun fact, he would originally talked to me about playing guitar in full contact when he first had the idea. And I didn't drive then. And they lived out. And it was just, it never worked out. And honestly, I, I wouldn't have fit in that band anyway. But And maybe they'll remember it differently. But he was definitely talking to me about like maybe playing guitar. Um, but yeah, Zach, he went on to No Warning and Shark Attack and all that stuff. Go ahead, Don.
1: Yeah, so that, that was where I first got familiar with who Greg Pollard was. Like I said, we weren't really friends at the time yet. Um, Eventually, we became friends over time because of doing a zine. I used to do a zine called Cut the Tension. And uh, I remember starting to talk to Greg around that time. Then eventually we're like, yo, let's start a band. Let's start uh, like a straight edge hardcore band. Very, very reminiscent of the 97 era. Just like fast, straight, to the point. And that's pretty much what 1UP was. And then, uh, you know, I played in a couple bands since then, but none of them have really had the impact or the notoriety of, like, say, One Up, which, as Greg likes to say on a lot of our like social media, that we're, what do you say, Greg? We're like, uh, (laughs) I say One Up
2: was a third tier straight edge hardcore band from 2002 to 2005. Yeah, but like, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I met Don. At shows, I, I think I remember the first time we really talked might have been at the Kill Time. Uh, might have been the Gray Area show. You, I don't know. I, I saw Gray Area, so I loved, you know, the band Gray Area. Um, and we might have talked about Turning Point or something like that. Maybe you had a shirt on or I don't know. But I just remember, you know, and then you, know, you knew Dave because Right? Like you knew Dave Janice And Dave Janice. Sure. I had met through America Online. When Go, my old band Go Time, we were looking for my friend Matt and I, who ended up being my college roommate, you know, on purpose, like we purposely were like, hey, we're going to be college roommates. And we're like, we had this vision to start this straight edge band. And we're like, we had the name and everything, no members. So like he like went looking on America Online. That's how we found Janice. But anyway, um, you know, Don, I had met Don and, and thought Don was cool. And I love fanzines. I loved cut the tension. Um, like I'm a big, I still like print fanzines, like whenever I can get my hands on one. Um, I think they're super important to like hardcore and punk and it's kind of like a lost art and, you know, I did go time and I remember just being like, I wanted to be a little more straightforward, which is so funny to think about. Cause it wasn't like, that was like sounding like rush or anything, but mainly I remember being like you know, I, I have a lot to say. Like I wanted to say stuff between songs and I was at that age of almost hitting 21 where a lot of my friends that were 21, you know, it was a classic, like they ended up, you know, starting to drink beer or whatever. And I was like pissed, you know, and I was like, I kind of want to do a band where I get to say what I want to say and maybe it'll be a little rough around the edges and a little like confrontational but hey, that's okay. And I knew Don had these songs because he had tried to jam with a couple other mutual friends. And I was like, well, Don has songs. Like I was like, Don plays guitar. So I talked to Don and then we ended up finding the other three guys, Jude and Fidge, who still play with us and Brian, the original bass player. They all played together in a band called Straight to the Point from New Jersey. And I liked their demo because they were, they were younger than Don and I. Like when, when 1UP started, I was 20, almost 21. And Don, you were what, like 22, 23?
1: I want to say I was – Wait, 23. Right? You were born 78. So I, was, I think I was 26. 23 or 26. I don't remember. <laughs> i just still <laughs> well,
2: 73. Well, we started in early 2002, so you would have been 23, which yeah, is funny okay. at the time that seems so old. You know, and like now... I'm like,
1: 43 now, so I feel real old.
2: Yeah, like, well, now, now you know, I have a kid that's closer to 23 than I am, you know? Um, so those guys were in high school. They were seniors in high school. Uh, Brian was 17. and Jude had just turned 18, and Fidge had just turned 18. And, uh, yeah, we got together. And originally, it was supposed to be a side project for me. Like, I was like, I'll do go time. And then, like, both existed at the same time very briefly like we just never go time never found a drummer fidge was actually we had talked to fidge about um drumming and he was so young that his parents wouldn't let him cross the bridge to get into philly so he couldn't do it um but it ended up being a blessing in disguise because if he would have done it then i don't know maybe we would i would have just focused more on that Um, so yeah we we did that and we wrote the demo pretty quick like a couple weeks i mean you can tell by the lyrics they're not very well thought out <laughs>
0: i'll have a couple of quick follow up questions i think i think you pretty much uh described the formation of the band pretty well there um and go time you you were kind of on my radar cuz i had the go time demo i want to say i don't know if you remember this but i feel like uh stand from rochester actually played with go time in philly uh when they toured or maybe not but i feel like they got a go time demo for, for me when they were there Probably, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, were so lucky. Years
2: ago. We, we were so lucky because I think, you know, again, this was all like I, I hate saying this was pre internet, the internet existed. I mean, I had to have internet to go to college in '99, but it wasn't like it is today, right? And, you know, Philly had Robbie Red Cheeks, and Robbie Red Cheeks was the guy, like, Robbie put on the shows, any show you went to. It was a hardcore show in the tri-state area that was a good a killer lineup and just a great show 95 percent of the chance that robbie's who booked it and you know i had met robbie and we recorded that demo and i gave it to him and he's like well i'm thinking of starting a record label so he started dead by 23 and we were the first release we were literally unknown people nobody knew who Any of us were. None of us were from X Band, you know, anything cool. He took a chance. Um, This is all going back to basically most good Philly shows, and like from the end of 2000 till the end of 2001, Robbie put us on. (laughs) We were so there's a good chance if they came through and there were like other cool bands playing too, that he put us on it. Like we played with like Count Me Out, American Nightmare, Bane. Like we got real lucky. but uh so we probably did play with them
0: and now another thing that was interesting i don't remember where i was i saw this when i was doing the research for the interview recently but i could have sworn i saw a flyer or something where you guys on your very first show the disaster who was also from rochester played that show too i don't know if you guys remember that at all but that just seems like another random
2: yeah we got we got added last minute to that i think like right don like maybe i think within i think what happened is it was the disaster down to nothing and dead serious so i think they wanted to pick another band with a d in the name no that's not true but it was it was all those bands and then actually i think robbie asked go time and i was like we don't really have a a, an operational drummer right now i was like but i got this new thing i was like we will play like three songs he's like okay and that was wild because we showed up and we brought all we brought so many of our friends and you know people from just the go time crew and just like the you know the, the straight to the point you know they had their whole group of friends and don you know from the zine and everything we we're to the point where we i think the disaster i feel bad they they were like touring and they played before us was our first show because robbie was basically like i know all your friends are gonna leave when you guys are done and we did i think three songs and uh turning point cover and that's where the picture inside the original demo tape was from which we got shit for remember that don
1: what what shit did we get for oh because
2: we demo and there's people singing
1: along inside oh yeah because it's a cover song yeah i mean that's classic chain of strength right there like yeah play a cover song kids go wild looks like your your band's way cooler than
0: it actually is yeah I uh, actually, I want to jump back real briefly to about the geography because I'm a little confused, actually. Uh, some of the dudes are from Jersey and Greg, you're from Philly, obviously. Now, Donnie, were you were you always in Philly? Because I feel like at one point you lived in Wilkes-Barre, too. Or did I just always see you there all the time?
1: I was in Wilkes-Barre a lot. I used to date a girl who lived in um, like the Delaware Water Gap, which is east of Wilkes-Barre. And then she and I booked shows at the home base. Um, around the same time, Bob Mack was also booking shows as well at the original home base. Uh, so we did a couple shows there and, and I like loved Wilkes-Barre. Like all the kids up there were incredible. The shows there were always incredible. Um, yeah. So I always lived, I grew up in Delaware County right outside of Philadelphia. And then I lived in South Philly for a couple of years, but that was well after the band was in existence. But yeah. Uh, um, actually, yeah none disaster. of us,
2: none of us were from Philly.
1: Yeah. Like, that's the best part.
2: Like that, that was the best part is like, it was like the closest regionality we could claim but like i lived at the time the band i lived in a suburb called hatboro which i believe i'm trying to think of any bands that came out of like hatboro and, and well my my school uh i was in a school district called upper Moreland. i went to upper Moreland high school we did sort of to talk to go back about how i got into hardcore how i really got into it as far as on the local level was uh the band frail um most of those guys went to my high school they were all uh three of the five guys went to my high school two of which graduated when i was in eighth grade and then when i was in ninth grade their bass player was a senior and they were like a huge deal and that was kind of what showed me that like oh like kids can do bands and like put out records and go tour like when I was into stuff like minor, I mean, minor threat and black flag, like I loved it, but it didn't like, I didn't see myself, you know, doing that. And I think frail kind of made that and I'm forever indebted to them. But um, yeah, I think where I lived in Hatboro, I supposedly that band electric love muffin were from Hatboro. They were like an old punk band. They played with like dead Kennedys. When I met John Worcester who drums for super chunk and, uh Bob Moole, when I said I lived in Hatbro, he had mentioned electric love Muffin. So I guess that's that's Hatboro's claim to fame. They were like supposed to be like they, they could have been the next Nirvana or something. I don't know. But um they yeah, and the other guys were from South Jersey, so like they were like from the area the turning point was from. But no one from Philly.
0: So how I guess again. Going back to that era, I guess like and and getting ready to record the demo and stuff like was it tough like getting everybody together for practices and stuff, or like was there a central location for you guys at all get like, kind of link up at that point yeah, you know
2: we talked about this before on where it went too, like I kind of took for granted the bands every every band I'd done up to and up to uh before one up the, we just practiced at the drummer's house, like I just kind of figured like that's. How every band is like the drummer doesn't want to move all his shit. So hopefully his parents are cool enough to let people come over and, and play. So like you know go time we practiced at the drummer uh, Phil's house until he we kicked him out and then we ended up having to practice somewhere else. It's a whole other story. Um, one up though, our drummer didn't have a place to practice, but we practiced at Jude's parents, and they were the absolute coolest we literally practiced there for three and a half years once a week um so easy for those guys don and i had to make the trek every week like an hour on thursdays sorry uh an hour like drive from where we were at to practice and then you know
0: and I guess if, and, I, and, and as I always say, and I'm sure you say this on, on your podcast a lot too, Greg, if, if, you, if the memory is a little foggy because it's been so many years on some of these questions, I understand. Um, but how do you, do you guys recall how long of a, a period it was between like playing the first show and doing the demo or whatever? Oh yeah. I
2: mean, I, I, I'm, I have a pretty inconsequential life. So these things I remember pretty easily, but go ahead, Don.
1: We did the demo maybe. So we did the first show, no demo. Robbie Red Cheeks asked us to do the, the, the record before we even had a demo. If you remember that, Greg, at that first show.
2: He asked us at the first show. And we we're like, very first yeah. show. He's like,
1: I want to put out your record. I want to put out your 7 inch. It's like, all right, we don't even have a demo yet. So that was, uh, that was an interesting thing. Um, so after we played that first show, it was probably within the first month, like after that, that we recorded with Mike Stankovich of Striking Distance at his house um, down in DC.
2: Let me look inside I I I feel like I feel like we did maybe two shows before cuz I think we played like at um LaSalle or something as well LaSalle College um, I remember playing like maybe in April or something I know that I had to do the research for the we recorded the the demo in the end of April 2002 it was like the last weekend in April and we played that first show in the end of March, because I remember it was like right before uh, my birthday is April 2nd, and I, I turned 21 then, so I wasn't quite 21 when we did the
1: first one. So you're yeah. saying it was, like I said, it was a month?
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh! Maybe, went... fi- maybe five weeks. <laughs> there. No, yeah, it was about, it was about a month. We'd, and we did the five song. I mean, one song is what, like seven seconds long or something?
1: That was a pure guess. I had
0: literally no idea how long it was since the first show we recorded. You did good. Greg, you and I are like exactly two weeks apart. I never realized that I was born on March 18th, the same year, 81. Oh, nice. That's a weird point.
2: It's funny. We toured with in 2004. We played some shows with this band uh, called Reaction from Illinois, not Illinois, Indiana from um, Evansville. And this guy, Lee, uh, the singer, you know, you're, you're on, I think they were on like a week of it. That was when we did the five and a half week marathon. <laughs> like, I don't know how we, I don't even know how we survived. But uh I remember talking to him and I'm like, oh, how old are you? Whatever. And he said his age. I'm like, Oh, when's your birthday? You know, I don't know. And we both realized we had the same exact birthday, day, month, year. So uh what's up to Lee? If he ends up listening, I still, you know, hear from him online and stuff he's got a new band and uh he's still out there doing it too so it's cool
0: yeah it's cool to see a lot of the people from this era like still active and, and whether it be with you know bands or like you were saying before zines or i mean now there's like it seems like there's a new podcast popping up like every week now. yeah the
2: podcast is the new zine
0: yeah it's crazy like i feel like last year like i think you and i think i started mine around the same time as you guys i, I took a, a couple like breaks because i had the child on the way and, and other things so um but around that time when, when we all started, there was maybe like, I could, I, I could think of like 10 at most, you know, and now there's like ridiculous, yeah. styles, you know, which is cool. You know, it's just hard to keep track of everything though, you know, but now with, with the demo, I guess, I guess it wasn't too long between the demo and Posi Fest either Then at that point. Right. Like,
2: no, yeah, we, you know, it's funny. When I first heard of Posi Fest, it happened in 99, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Don went to that. I was, that wasn't on my radar, but in 2000 it was, and that's when I was at school. I was, living at Drexel and I had no money. I couldn't get there. And that was like intention played. That was the famous year. No justice played where they took the, where they stole the trash can from Taco Bell, you know, and put it up against the stage so people could dive off it. Uh, American nightmare, uh, maybe right brigade. Like that was like when everybody was kind of like, Oh, this is the fest. Like, yeah. And, um, so the next year I remembered wanting to get go time on, and sent Bob Mack the demo, you know, he had booked our first show in, we, our first show was in December of 2000. And we played, uh, with like American nightmare, Bane this guy. And we wanted to play posi fest so bad. And I don't think he was too, too jazzed on the demo, which, Hey, that's fine. So we, we weren't able to play and I was bummed, but I still went, Don played with carry on that's the year Don filled in, um, for carry on. that was like their big, like they were like the hot set of that year, you know? Cause it was like when Ryan walked in and had the, you know, looked all mod, like it was like, I was like intention played with them six months before. And he had like a mouthpiece t-shirt and baseball hat. And then he comes in with the, you know, the jean jacket <laughs> and the mod hair and they, but they were so good. It didn't even matter. But um, I think I sent the demo to Bob, the one up demo and he loved the straight to the point demo which was you know, Jude, Brian, and Fidge. So I was like, hey, I'm doing this band. He knew Donnie, he knew me, and he loved it. And he's like, will you guys play Posse Fest? I was like, absolutely. And we were like, thrilled. And that was a, that was a trip. That's when it was at the home base, that was 2002. I think that was like our fifth show or something.
0: That's crazy i have i I'll, I'll I'll pause it there because I got a lot of questions about that Posse Fest. but there's a few things I want to touch on that you said. What's really weird about you mentioned I don't even know, you know if you saw my eyes get a little wide when you mentioned that that reached the Sky America Nightmare show at home base. Uh, a bunch of us were at that show from Rochester. I think we got there after you guys played because I definitely never saw go time um, but okay, it's, just weird yeah. that, it's weird that I was at that show um, December eighth that I remember because yeah.
2: it was uh it was the 20 year anniversary of the day John Lennon
0: was shot, oh really yeah. Wow. I'm not, my girlfriend's a huge Beatles fan, so she would know that. I don't, I'm not, I don't really fuck with the Beatles. Um, I can't, I, can't, I, did, I don't so. like them, but um, <laughs> yeah, we went to Gainesville Fest the following week to see America Nightmare too. Like I was, I was all over the map to see those guys that year, but it's just crazy that, you know, like all the similarities with this era with like bumping into you guys at all the same places and not really knowing you guys before that, which uh, speaking of which you had, you had kind of referenced uh, Donnie Torn with carry on is that is that donnie what kind of made you guys decide to do the carry-on cover at at Posse fest like you you like who, who brought it up i guess oh
1: absolutely it was uh like i loved carry-on like the, uh, just being able to play with them uh for their first so what happened was i played bass for them for their first uh east coast tour what happened i i was hit, talking with sean youngblood i was like hey If carry on ever comes out here to the East coast, I want to book a show for them at Wilkes in Wilkes-Barre at like home basically. It'll be an awesome show. Kids will love them. Like kids already love them. They'll love them even more. It'd be great. And somehow I got roped into booking that entire tour and like every classic tour, like happened with one up on our first tour, every show except for the weekend, like the three day weekends fell through. So it was like, they showed up at my house. It was supposed to be a Monday to like Monday tour. So they, we hung out at my house from like Monday, no show. Everything fell apart. Tuesday, everything fell apart. Thursday, no show. Friday, show happened. So we had a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that was when I, um, when I filled in for them originally, and then they came back out to we'll, about back out to um, play Posy Fest, but they didn't have. They were going to play as a four piece. They're like, "Hey, you remember the songs? Fill in again." Like, absolutely sure. Why not? And it was it was incredible. Uh, so it was the first Posse Fest I got to play. And I, I had seen the the two previous years. and It was just incredible to be a part of Posi Fest from that show every other year until it finally ended.
0: Yeah, 2000 was the first year I went. Like Greg was referencing, the No Justice shit was insane. But as he said, 2001, when Carry On played, it was just like, holy shit. Like the whole entire place went nuts. Everybody's there. I had the same reaction afterwards. Like that band is 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 fucking sick i remember telling todd jones that actually i wrote it in my zine i was speaking going back to zines i had done a zine the right path and i gave him a copy when i booked them here like six months later and he read that i, I wrote in Posyfest that they were like the band that just was on fire and he was like actually i think it was count me out which if i was gonna say another band that weekend that that tore it up it was count me out like i would put carry on and count me out like get a bow one to my, my man
2: jason Yep. Yeah. count me out i was gonna ask do people still know now? I, I think so. Cause I feel like it pops that last show video pops up every now and then and sort of goes viral, but like, do people know how nuts no justice were alive? Like still, I mean, I remember hearing before I, I saw, I think their first show was in Falls church, Virginia, but, and they were like crazy, but it wasn't anything that like, like it, I think they were still kind of feeling out. But then I remember hearing, yo the singer, ripped somebody's ear off
0: yes
1: daniel he he he,
2: he like dove and he landed on dan mills uh from cold world's head and like his foot took dan's ear and like ripped part of his ear off and like i just remembered seeing them and you, you knew like this guy has absolutely no regard for his own body or for the audience but like It's so cliched, I think, to be like, but that was what made it cool. It was scary. But it's true. Like, I kind of saw, like, that was the closest that I felt I would ever get to seeing, like, you know, back in the day when people talk about how scary it was to see, like, I don't know, Black Flag or something. Um, So, No Justice, were just wild. But I digress. So, that
1: that show you're talking about, I actually booked that show. The Ear Rip show? Yeah, yeah. Uh so Sean Youngblood and Ronnie Little were both like you got to book this band No Justice. You got to book No Justice. They're they're crazy. I'm like I've never heard of them. They have a demo. No, they have a demo. They're the craziest band you ever seen. Just book them. It's like I don't know. Just just book them. I like I okay, fine. They like Colorado River approached me where they just wore me down over time. I was like fine. I'll I'll book them on that show. So it was them and Rain on the Parade. Dan Mills got his ear ripped off. Uh, during No Justice's set, went to the emergency room, had it attached, came back, and was moshing at the end of the night for the last band. That's crazy. Nice.
2: That's like <laughs> that story about their last show where the the first song, I think I showed my kids the video once, he just comes out, he's like, we're No Justice, you know what to do, and he takes, because apparently him and Gene, the drummer, Timmy and Gene, were not, like, that was why they ended. I think they those guys butt heads and he takes Gene's simple stand and he just chucked it into the crowd and he hit some kid but like people were going insane um and uh, i think somebody got cut why do i feel like it was like andy from tear it up i don't know someone listening they'll know whoever it was got cut got stitches and came back they like it was like enough time to come back and just do the rest of the show what a fun time
0: has anybody gotten Timmy on a podcast ever, or anything? Or has there ever been an episode just devoted to, to crazy Timmy stories on any podcast or anything? I don't know. Maybe
2: you should be the you should be the one.
0: That would be that would be clutch. They actually played here once. I didn't book the show, but when that on that Nerve Agents tour, um, they played here with like shy. It was like a totally random show. It was like shy Lude and a bunch of like, like Mashi and like like metalcore bands and stuff. But no Justice played, and it was at that Bug Jar place, which we'll talk about again later because I booked you guys there too. And Timmy was just the same thing, just going nuts. Like the bar was like. 15 feet away from the stage and like i have a picture in, in one of my zines where he's just like in the middle like from going from the bar to the crowd like just diving off the bar and shit i'd never
2: and, seen anything i had never no. seen anything like that before or since
0: yeah yeah and then when like even seeing him at shows it was the same thing like when i was in dc a couple yeah. of times it was just like holy shit this dude's nuts <laughs> you know so all right but yeah i guess aside from making this a no justice episode. um, So what I had kind of, the the whole thing I was talking about before we're trying to get into, which we went on a tangent there was the carry on cover in 2002 at Posi Fest. It seemed like every year there was a band that did a cover and somehow the the crowd already knew before the cover that the band was going to do it. Like, did you guys tell some friends or something? And then they told some friends. Cause like, I feel like I already knew even.
2: Cause somebody yelled out like carry on. You can hear it in the YouTube. Cause we always like joke at the, it was like, and it sounded like a, a, One of you upstate New York accents. (laughs) You guys say, I was telling my friends that do the NCS podcast. I love the Buffalo, they say, fire. Like, yeah, that place was on fire. Um, But I don't remember who we told. I just remembered kind of being like, you know, especially at that era, everybody came and they would try to cover like, you know, some like, look at i don't want to say like like or even just like a judge song or like whatever because you know another thing people don't probably remember is at that time you couldn't see judge you couldn't see youth of today you couldn't see gorilla biscuits like the closest you were going to get would be a band covering them and you going off and i think we were just like you know carry on broke up we loved carry on don had played with them the year before and somehow we got everybody on board to do it i don't know if maybe some because we used to have like our practices were like just a big hangout like we'd always have friends at practice or you know after going to eat like it wasn't just like we didn't just like show up rehearse and then leave for the most part i mean of course there were times where that had to happen but most of it was like just a long hangout session where we happened to have instruments and stuff so who knows maybe somebody knew we were doing it and said it I don't remember telling a lot of people but I do remember it being most insane like reaction and like sometimes I think did I just think it was insane but then I watched the videos and I'm like oh no like people are going wild and I often joke that like everything went downhill after that Like i'm like that might have been the pinnacle like if we would have just stopped after that then like it would have been the most upward trajectory ever but because all the other posi fests were fun but nothing beat that first one
0: yeah how many did you guys play did you guys end up playing like three of them at that point or four four yeah we did
2: 2002 at home base 2003 was at that fire hall whereas they would say fire uh, fire hall, um, in Kingston, I think, or something. Then 2004 was at the zoo, which was like right where the home base was, but like a different room or something like that. Some bear people can correct me. Uh, and then the sports dome in 2005, we did that, and that was when we knew that one was weird because we knew we were done, and like everybody knew, like, you know, it wasn't a secret, like, we said, like. Is our, that was our second last
0: show. Yeah. I missed 2004 and 2005. I, I wasn't, I probably wasn't traveling quite as much to shows for a couple of years there. And that, those were definitely the years. Uh, 2003 was a lot of fun too, though. Um, uh, desperate measures was really good that year. I remember. And, uh, all those years that no warning played, it was like, it was like, just like insane, like just standing there. Yeah. Like I never got anywhere near like the, like I, I, I used to mosh a lot, but I didn't get anywhere near the pits for any of their sets during, posi fest because it was always just like especially man, i
2: remember that one was the one with like little to no stage right yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. i think i might have gotten a concussion even during desperate measures because somebody like definitely landed on my head and i like saw star or not during desperate measures uh, bane i like definitely saw stars afterwards and i was like that, that was that was part for the course at, at, during those years though you know
2: <laughs> yeah look, you know man desperate measures we played with them a bunch they were super fun to hang out with um and, and cuz i think you know go time also played with them a couple times um they were just so much fun i feel like i saw them every week for a while
0: yeah i saw them a lot they were definitely good dudes as we'll get to I, like i sent you guys those flyers before cuz i want to see if that jogs your guys memory on, on any of those shows that i booked and two of those uh three flyers that i sent you guys for shows that i booked you guys here they played And I realized recently, I think I booked Desert Measures in Rochester like three or four times in a really short period of time, like a year, a year and a half, you know, which you wouldn't do something like that now, you know. Um, I'm looking at this Fest,
2: oh, i was sorry, I'm looking at the Fest one. Yeah. And I feel like I remember that one pretty clearly, like I can almost like see the, and I think that was the one where for whatever reason, yeah, because did the Promise play that? Yeah, yes. Okay. That was the one I know we're jumping around. Uh that was the one where for whatever reason we're like, we should just wear black t-shirts.
0: Oh, I do kinda remember that, yeah. And of
2: course that was the one where the town of hardcore guy fucking ripped us apart. (laughs) Which if you buy the discography on Hellminded Records, you can see I we uh we put a little excerpt from some of the reviews, but yeah, he, he he thought it was pretty corny that we like already abandoned the youth crew vibe for the black t-shirts, and we literally did it like that one show. For like, like a I, t- or whatever. Too. I have no idea why. Crazy. But, but you uh, know the if, lineup I'm looking at was nuts. Yeah. I mean, this would be like a fifty dollar show now or something. Yeah,
0: a couple of those bands didn't didn't play, but not not most of the bigger ones all played. Like Mental was definitely there. Uh the only big band I think they didn't play was Misery Signals. Other than that, like pretty much all the bands listed on there that that were like well known played. But I think that town of Hardcore though, he would trash like a lot of bands that I was friends with and liked, but it was hard not to laugh because it was just like, holy shit, some of the shit that he said was so Oh, I I laughed at it. And like I said, I
2: loved I loved the zine. Yeah. Actually, to um you know, to prep for this discography. Um, you know, in case I wanted to find so on the inside of the discography there is, we asked a bunch of friends to to write stuff. I forget if, if I already said this on the, did I already say this on the recording? No, I was talking before we were rolling, right? Um, so we had a bunch of friends write like just, you know, little blurbs. We had, a, you know, our roadies and friends, Larry and, and Clint wrote stuff, but also Aaron from The First Step, John from Give, Pat Flynn. And I was like, you know what would be kind of funny would be, to have, and I stole this idea from like um, one of my favorite bands is Teenage Fan Club. And they, um, well, it's two things. Don, well, let me, let me give the first. Teenage Fan Club did this thing where their one record got like a really bad review. So the label took out this full page ad and Melody Maker, whatever it was, and they put all the good reviews, but also like the bad one. And they said like nine out of 10 people prefer whatever I forget, you know, but also I loved cut the tension and Donnie. One of the first things I remember is he had hate mail. And I thought it was hilarious. Like people would write him this fucking like scathing, like Yelp reviews, like Donnie doesn't know shit and blah, 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 blah. And he'd print it. So between that and the, uh, you know, like thinking about the teenage fan club and there's a few others where it's just like the self-deprecating. I was like, I got to find these zines, these town of hardcore um, um, so that I can uh, you know, put it in. So we, we took a couple of the excerpts and and it's in there. Um, But the zine, this whole diatribe was meant for me to say, I looked at it recently and it's great. I loved it. It was a great, well done zine, you know, a lot of cool stuff in it. Um, but he did not like us at all.
0: Well, another thing that was funny too, is I, I remember him being at a terror show that I booked here. I can't remember. Oh, and he was at the show you guys played where poor was there too, which we'll talk about. But one of those two shows, like, and I was one of the only people from Rochester that moshed here. Maybe there was out of town people too, but in his zine, he was like at this show, I saw some pretty bad moshing, but not as bad as the moshing in Rochester that I saw recently. And I was like, yo, he's got to be talking about me or one of my friends, like, saying that shit or whatever, you know? Um, But I didn't care, and I liked his band, too, so whatever. Um, But, Donnie, did you really get hate mail when you did your zine? Because I never got any.
1: Yeah, I had some really bad It would be, like,
2: online stuff, right? Like, people, like, on a message board.
0: Yeah, a lot of that. One of
1: them was from like the Rev board. Uh one was from a singer of a band that I said some very um not nice things about the record. And to this You day, know what?
2: Don has nothing to hide.
1: I have nothing to hide, you know, it's 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 out there. I'm not proud of the things I say in the zine because it, it really comes off as like a twelve year old that's angry and doesn't know how to express any feeling whatsoever. So they just go like straight for like the worst thing you can possibly say. And it's very 90s themed in the sense of like, oh, these are really like bad words that you just do not use now. And and, and I know better in my adulthood. I know everything I said back then was very, very poor taste. But, uh, you know, you got to learn from it. And I, I, I have. And I, I always look to make sure that no one finds that stuff. Cause I'm like really embarrassed by a lot of it, honestly. So there I won't said, be a book. There won't be a cut the tension book. I so. had a friend, uh, my friend Matt Finner was like, Hey, let me do a, an anthology for cut the tension." I was like, no, nope, 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 <laughs> nope, nope. Sorry. You're, I, you're a great dude, but no. And I think he got really mad because I mean, it's a very great opportunity, but like, that's why, because there's, there's language in it. That's just like, doesn't represent me as a person. It, it did when I was 18 because I was an idiot and I was a big fan of the rev board and uh the bridge nine board and all the, the back and forth shit talking a lot of people would say but yeah wow this is I I've never
2: I never heard don drop this kind of like knowledge I'm I'm impressed and you know just like but it's true yeah it's like you know I think also people forget like that early 2000s still we were I was talking about this as somebody that was riding off the crest of like, so hardcore got super politically correct with like the ebullition stuff and like the, you know, really political and, you know, heart attack had the thing with not reviewing things with a barcode and like this band signed to a major, they're terrible. Or this band signed to an indie that's distributed by a major and you know, all that controversy. So then of course that hits a, a a wall and that's where you had like your floor punches and stuff where they would maybe say some colorful things that aren't politically correct but it was like i think for a lot of people it was sort of um like a breath of fresh air because he felt like you were like in this like oh my god i don't want to say anything offensive but sometimes you can kind of take it too far um i think where things are at now is actually good because People are aware of that their words and actions have consequences, but it's it's not just it's not just um it's not just like arbitrary rules. It's like yeah, these things are hurtful to say. Like you shouldn't use these you know terms or, w- or whatever you know. And uh, so we all grow. But it was definitely I hate to use the excuse, but it was a different time then. So yeah. part of me, I guess, this is a long way of saying what he should do is write a new forward for the book and say what he just said here in text and then just have the rest there. But I get it.
0: I can relate though, because um, I don't know if there's anything like this in Philly, but uh, my, my, one of my sister's good friends is like a librarian at our Central Library in Rochester. And I, I, don't have, I haven't gotten around to doing this yet, but she sent me like a screenshot like a couple of weeks ago, probably, that the Central Library is, is looking for and collecting comics and fanzines they want to start circulating them in the library and like you know having them in the library and i was like oh shit i could bring some of my zines there but then i was like like i never said anything like i don't think offensive but i might have said things that i wouldn't want people to read you know you know what i mean if that makes any sense like just yeah, well, it, like,
2: yeah like yeah i mean and i want for people listening that didn't read cut the tension and i have a couple issues i yeah. might have all of them that i ended up getting from uh you know from brian Convery. he had a pile of zines that i said hey can i you know and he didn't he was making space and i was like well i would love to have these especially to cut the tensions you know it wasn't like dom was saying like racist stuff yeah. i just wanted to make that clear or anything but it was just like you know like just stuff trash talking and bands and and doing stuff that you probably wouldn't do now you'd find a, a more constructive way to get your opinion across
0: yeah you know, I, and I guess to put myself out there, kind of when I did my fanzine, I was always trying to sell ads. So like, if I didn't like a record, I would just kind of like, just be real brief about it. You know, like this sounds like this or this was recorded here, but like in my head, I was like, this shit's terrible, <laughs> you know, like, but I just yeah. don't want to, I don't want to say it, you know? Oh, um, I said it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got the veiled reference you were making before, and I'm sure a lot of other people will too. Um, <laughs> And I so, love that record, by the way. <laughs> so do I. But I, I can totally see what you're talking about, though. So i, I guess guessing Donnie won't be on that episode, too, come to think of it now that we're <laughs> thinking about it. Um, now, um, again, to kind of, you know, peel back the curtain, when I was doing the research for this interview, I remember a lot of the releases, but, like, again, my my, my memory for years was kind of foggy. So some, some of the records I was going off of Discogs, so that's why Donnie had to correct me on one of the, the years, because it said 2006 on there for something. But... My question is, like when I when you guys played here and you did that tour with Coalition, Donnie was saying there's there's a good story about the It's Time to Believe CD, but the two song promo, did did those come on around the same time or was one before the other?
2: The two song promo was before. I forget what two songs are on there. Um, so we recorded. So <clears throat> we we had, I'm using air quotes, signed to Dead by Twenty Three like Don talked about Robbie asked and we're like, yeah. And we, you know, the hot spot at that point to record was at Atomic Studios. So after the demo, everything else that we recorded was done at Atomic Studios with uh, Dean uh, who had, you know, he'd recorded like mad ball, sick of it all. And, um, you know, later on, he went on to do like, he did American Nightmare, I think he did, even did the band, the hold steady, like a bunch of their records. Um, great dude. And we recorded there in December of 2002. And originally it was supposed to come out in like March or something. Cause like the turnaround, like it's nuts to think, cause now it coming out in July and being recorded in December, that's like a freaking win. Like now the turnaround times are insane. And with, with us, it's funny. Cause now I have crap ton of vinyl by the time we all bought cds so we were just like mainly concerned with getting a cd out because we're like well that's what we would want so i remember the idea for it's time to believe would be that we would do it was going to be a cd first because they were easier to press so we recorded eight songs that if you get the discography they're the first eight on side b um, we did eight songs and the first six were going to be then later pressed on vinyl, maybe a seven inch or was it a twelve? Yeah, I think a seven inch, it would have fit on a seven inch probably. And then we tacked the demo on the CD too. And we never did the vinyl. Um, because again, we didn't really press Robbie because we were just kind of like, we have the CD, why would we want vinyl? Who cares? Um, and of course, every show we'd have, do you have any vinyl? no but i guess the funny story is is that we uh you know we the 2003 tour with coalition we were starting it at Posy fest and then we were just going to go from there to like the midwest or whatever um you know and then out west and kind of come back that was a three week run um because we had we in 2002 when we had the demo we were supposed to do a week with coalition we went out to michigan and then i think a lot of shows fell through we played a couple so we were like okay the next summer we're gonna like do it up they had a new record out um, that Porcell had put out on his label fight fire with fire um so anyway we're like waiting on these cds right because we're like we need these to sell on tour and we're like don't have them Posy, it's the day of posi fest And like originally the plan was Robbie's going to meet us there. He's going to have the boxes of CDs to give us. And um, I had this Soundgarden VHS um, motor vision. It was a, see, I see Don's already like hiding his face. Uh, It was a motor vision. It was like from the Bad Motor Finger tour. It was like a home video. And I knew Robbie loved Soundgarden. (laughs) We're in the van on the way up and we get like a text from Robbie. And it's funny because I'm thinking now these were on our like little Nokia roaming flip phones where you had to press the button three times to type a letter, you know, and something like Robbie was like, I might not make it to the show in time for your set. I might not be there till tomorrow, something like that. And me being 22 years old and just like we're about to go on tour, we're not going to have the new record to sell. We're about to play arguably what's going to be the biggest show of the entire tour and we're going to have no merch. And I rolled down the window, we were in a tunnel, and I took the Soundgarden video and I threw it out of the van and it just shattered into pieces on the side of the road because I was so pissed. And then literally, as luck would have it, and Robbie, I'm sorry, you know I love you if you end up listening, but he tells me he doesn't listen to podcasts. So I guess either he'll never hear this or someone's going to tell him about it. But um, as luck would have it, he literally, I think, pulled up like as we were setting up. It was something like that like it was like cutting it so close so we went on the tour and we had that cd and man i don't think we sold but five cds or something the whole tour like nobody wanted them because that was already kind of i think the era of like people would just burn stuff i think it was like kind of before everybody had an ipod but people either wanted vinyl or even tapes i'm,
0: I'm slightly cloudy on the on the on the timeline because the the a time to believe came out in two thousand three, but I'm 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 looking at the flyer that I sent you guys for that Stay Gold show, which a bunch of the bands didn't play, and I feel like that was two thousand two, right? So did you guys? Yeah, know? that would have been. Yeah, we, came, have been we on our first tour with Coalition where we. Yeah, we we, we played we went out
1: on,
2: uh, Yeah, I was going to say we played one of yours uh in two thousand two because that was the first time I ever went to a Wegmans.
0: Okay. Um,
2: because isn't that it's of New York? It's upstate New York. Yeah. Isn't that where originally we're? Well,
0: it's based out of Rochester, but they're everywhere now, obviously. I mean, right.
2: So now I have, you know,
0: you guys have a- with
2: it. Oh, yeah. It's where we go every week. But um, I remember it at the time I was actually telling my wife before this, I was like, yeah, we're talking to an old friend from Rochester. And I said, that's the first time we went to Wegmans. I remember we were like, yo, you can get a loaf of bread for 49 cents or whatever it was. And it was just so awesome because, yeah. you know, we're on tour. We have no money. You buy their store brand peanut butter and a loaf of bread for like $3, but yeah, we didn't have, we only had demos then. And then the CD came out in July of 2003, for whatever reason, Spotify and all the streaming says 2006, I have no idea why. We don't even know how, how that's up there, right? Because Robbie didn't put it up there either.
0: Now, as I was kind of telling you guys before we did the interview too, this, this flyer is funny because. I see one, two, three, four, five, six bands on this flyer. And I want to say three played. Um, they gold. gold didn't, I don't know. I don't know what happened with them or down to nothing. And then I was going to ask you if, would this have been the time where horror show ended up going on their hiatus or whatever, like 2002, or was that later?
2: Uh, yeah. I don't remember horror show. I don't remember us. I remember us only playing with horror show maybe once.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know they um, didn't play this show. I don't think they did anyways. I don't I don't think I ever ended up booking. I don't even know why I would have had them on there if, if maybe they were gonna be torn with one of these bands or maybe I just asked them to play. Um, but it would have been a weird show for me to book in the summer because like we're more of like like especially at that time like hardcore here was more of like a college thing like like our two especially uh, RIT the Rochester Institute of Technology that's where like most of our hardcore scene was. So like for me to do a show in the summer like really that, it would not have been that well attended anyway. So I'm thinking about it now. I'm like I wouldn't book a show now where there's gonna be it's literally five out of town bands. That's crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like,
2: yeah. And then I see the other one, April, 2003, we still didn't have the CDs. Right. Um, then, and that one, I, I remember that one as well. Cause again, that's where poor was there. Yeah. We took like a, we took like a picture with poor And for some reason, I remember even though it was April, it was like really cold. Yeah. I don't know why I, I remember
0: it was like cold. I mean, I guess you're in the Northeast too, but yeah, Rochester in April because still. Be- well,
2: now April's cold all yeah. the time, like because yeah. of like our planet just, yeah, most likely just being on its way to extinction. But um, you know, I remember like at the time being like, oh, April, like I would always associate like my birthday's in April, like it's spring, like it's going to be warm, and I remembered it, it was just cold. Uh, and we, we we were stoked with Coalition because those guys were super fun, and the fact that Porcel did their CD and was there was a trip and that was the first time i met porcel and he remembered me you know you now we're friends but yeah. he remembered me you know years later i re he's like oh you're greg from one up i know you you know so that's um, really
0: cool
2: that was cool and it was from that that show
0: it's funny to think about that era too like you had kind of touched on it a little bit when you mentioned like not being able to see judge or youth of the Day like Gorilla biscuits like this is like free social media like like my space was like probably a few months off a few months away from this, you know what I mean. So like, all these dudes were like, like, like rap bones. Like nobody knew who, who or where people like them were. Like, like they were just like legends, basically. You know what I mean? And now yeah. all these dudes have Instagram profiles. So it's like, I don't know. In a way, it's cool to like be able to see all these people's lives and stuff. But I also kind of miss like being like, oh no, that dude. Like, there's some
2: people whose lives we know way too much about. Yeah, that makes
0: it difficult. Yeah,
2: and I'll leave it at that. I'll I'll be as as uh, <laughs> I'll be as vague as possible. Yeah. But um, yeah, poor Selby in there was just wild. I mean, youth of today, like that was my, you know, like Don was thinking when we started. Don's touch point was like floor punch, chain of strength, and mine was youth of today with a side of youth of today and like uniform choice or something like that. Was like what I was really wanted to you know kind of touch on so having him there and watch us and say we were had a good set was like blew my mind then and yeah i think coalition did a judge cover and he sang or something am i am i remembering that right like but it was like that was like the closest you were gonna get to seeing judge
0: project x but yeah it was project x
2: that's it yeah uh
0: probably straight edge revenge i'm not totally sure maybe dance floor justice definitely one of those two songs but that was just crazy you know what i mean like that's yeah you know I, I never like even now to this day like booking a show like that and having somebody like that come on and do a a, show, a song like that, you know it's like I book I book some cool stuff, but that's probably towards the top of the list, you know.
2: And I think I remember too like I'm looking at the date. I think I just broken up with like my first serious girlfriend. so it was a nice it was like a nice distraction. you know when you're that young, that's like the end of the world, right? Because I think you know, I think we broke up like on my birthday, which is the second. so and I was like going to this. Yeah. And that might have been the weekend where Jeff Losage came with us. Where, like, we just made the joke, like, take the ring off, dude. We're going to a party.
1: Oh, you yeah, because really? we broke down as soon as we pulled out. Well, we played Syrac- – that was the Syracuse show. We pulled up to whatever – like I don't know if it was, like, wasn't probably Lost Horizon. I feel like that that was the 90s venue. But whatever the popular Syracuse venue was at the time, we pull up, we pull him back. This is, like, Jeff lived here. Like, this is his hometown, you know, basically. The car, the van broke down, so we got that towed. And like, there was a party going on afterwards. So I just was joking, I'm like, Yo, Jeff, take the ring off, dude. We're going to a party. <laughs> he's like, Nah, man, Jenna whoop my ass. Yeah. Like, dude,
2: Jeff was like the first dude we knew that was married. Like, I didn't know anybody that was married. Uh, you know, that that was at the time. You know, of actually, the whole time we were in the band originally, he was married. But yeah, we were like, take the ring off, dude. That's when we. We made fun of him. We called him Pop-Up Lossage, And it's so funny to think about because the dude was like 28 years old. And I'm like, man, I would kill to be 28 again. And like, because we used to joke because he was like, guys, I'm having such a great time. This has been such a, you know, like him falling asleep in the chair or whatever. Um, but yeah, just, man, we had so much fun. Uh, and it's just, it's it's crazy to still be like, I still talk to Jeff. I love Jeff you know, always a pleasure to see Jeff and, and talk to him. And he did so much for our band. So yeah. But yeah, he came on that one. I remember that, but that was, that was fun. And then, yeah. So I, I think I actually do remember all three shows in a limited capacity. You
0: know, it's really weird. I sent you guys notes for this interview weeks ago, and I can't imagine you guys are looking at them right now, but that's literally Jeff's literally like the next thing I, I would, I would want to talk about in the interview. Cause that's like the record he put out for you guys. And he my was God. like,
2: he was a fan from day one. I mean, yeah. he knew, he knew go time. He took a couple pictures of go time. Cause Jeff has, I'll say has cause he all of a sudden he'll just, you know, he's like, um, he's like my bloody Valentine where all of a sudden he will just like drop a record uh, and he'll drop like a zine start today. And you know, it was awesome being in this area and having two, Killer zines. We had Don's, you know, cut the tension and then start today. And, you know, being zine guys, Donnie and Jeff became friends, and Jeff ended up living near where Don lived for a while. And um, I think we sent him literally like a practice tape. So we're talking like two weeks into doing the band, and he was just like so excited. Like, and honestly, like that kind of, you know, when you're starting out as a band, that kind of early support is key. I think with kind of giving you the momentum to like, all right, we got to do this, like to get that kind of positive feedback that early um, was super crucial, pun intended, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a crucial thing to, to have for the band. And I just remember he was so stoked. So then, you know, he loved the demo and we, we did that. So then when it came time to do the more things change, we had, you know, done the stuff with Bob, but for whatever reason, Bob didn't do the vinyl. So then Jeff did the vinyl for that. Actually I think he did the demo and vinyl first and then he did that seven inch, uh, the more things change.
0: Yeah. I was stoked to see you guys working with him. And obviously, like I said, he's an old friend of mine and I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast and I probably won't say anything else past this sentence, but, um, I had actually met him years before that, like 97, 98. I think he might have even like just sent me a letter cause I was doing my fanzine way back then. And then I was like, Oh yeah, I'm doing this show in Rochester. You should come check it out. And that was the first time I met him was when I booked uh, and again, I'm not going to say anything else about this after this sentence uh, I booked. I hate you in Rochester uh, in late January of 1988. So um, that was, was my, that like
2: the infamous yeah, show yeah, and yeah, we'll yeah, leave yeah, it at that. that. Okay. That
0: was my first time meeting Jeff. Um, and him and I became friends after that, though. Like you, you know, like. But it was it was definitely weird having that be like my first uh, time time actually meeting that dude or whatever. So, um, but it was cool, like him being from this area and then seeing him move more towards you guys, because like I would keep in touch there and I would see him at fest. And then, like, you talk about him being married. We even stopped at his house. We were going to see Madball in D.C. One of the shows I was referencing with with Timmy being crazy or whatever. And we stopped at his house like in the middle of the night in Philly. That's the kind of good dude Jeff is. Like he let us stay at his house. Like. We probably got yeah. there like 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And he was like, "Oh hey, yeah, you, you can just, just give me a call when you get there. You can stay the night and then just we'll go to breakfast in the morning. You can go to D.C. or whatever afterwards, you know. And that was the whole encounter, like only in hardcore. You know what I mean? Yeah. As,
2: you know, and it's funny, too. Like, I saw this meme going around. Everybody was sharing on, uh, you know, social media. But it's so true. It's like, how do you know everyone? It's like, oh, man, we went to hardcore together. Because <laughs> that's like so, you know, like – it's so true though it's just like you know jeff but he was definitely a huge jeff i mean anybody that put out records robbie you know and booked us robbie jeff um and bob mack and then of course even our friend phil did the last record um super thankful um but like jeff i mean between doing the record coming to the shows taking pictures putting us in the zine it was always awesome
0: yeah he's still taking pictures now like that's the thing is i i've never been to it this is hardcore but i've seen tons of of sets on sunny's 856 obviously and you see jeff in like every video just up there shooting. yeah
2: yeah he and he's taking like he took them for like kiss and metallica and stuff like recently and dinosaur jr like really really great pictures and um yeah i love the guy and you know i had talked to him for years like kind of joking like yeah hey, let's do a discography let's do a discography and he's like man if i had the money i would do it in a heartbeat
0: before we jump into that i got a few a few other things to ask you about i guess um what like how did you how did the whole still cross thing come up Were you guys just friends with them or because I, I booked a show for them in here in 2004 too i think not with you guys obviously but like, had you guys played with them before and you guys just ended up, like, touring with them or whatever? Or... Donnie?
2: Yeah, so... Donnie handled all the booking. I had nothing to do with it, <laughs> any of
1: it. So I handled all the booking, and Greg had nothing to do with that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, what happened was we played a show with them at Cafe Metropolis in wilkes that Bob Mack booked when we were, we were already on Walk on Night, and Still Cross were supposedly going to be putting out a record on – uh, Walk on Night Records, but then Walk on Night fell through because I don't I don't know if you know about this, but 1UP has this great ability to get on a record label, have a record of ours come out, and then the record label go under. So that happened to Dead by 23. Somehow, bottled up records, Jeff Lossage's label lasted a little longer. Uh, I just rejected, like, glass.
2: I have PTSD from all that, Don. And, you know, because I hope, you know, Joe, my buddy who put out this record like if i don't get an answer for a text i'm like you know i'm like oh my god he's not answering we killed the label i was like we killed it like still like 20 years later i still have ptsd because like yeah i felt like dead by 23 kind of stopped really popping after us walk all night even broken glass feels like i was thinking about that the other day sorry i just had to interject
0: and by the Come way mind,
2: it's got a lot of stuff planned for next year So thankfully, the curse has been lifted.
1: So, yeah, we played that show with them at uh, Cafe Metropolis. And Bob's like, yo, you guys should talk with this band. Like, maybe we'll do a split. Maybe we'll whatever. So we started talking with them. And it was, like, kind of cool that they were a little more on the metal side, but still fast hardcore. And we were on more of, like, this, you know, straight up. Uh, traditional fast hardcore side so like hey like we should play some shows together and somehow that evolved into us doing a tour together with them
2: for five weeks
1: yeah, for five
0: mean, long weeks. weeks it was great i don't i don't even know how i got in contact i mean you know again power hardcore i have no idea like i know they played with desperate measures in buffalo and i probably said some of them at the show like i do shows in rochester and then i got some random email and, and that was honestly one of the last like like touring bands that i booked because I, I haven't booked very many shows at all since like 2004 2005 so they were probably one of the last like you know like touring like straight edge hardcore bands that i booked so that's pretty cool but oh like, really we we
2: we played with them somewhere in new york too with embrace today okay. i think that or, might be or like our, either we because i remember because at that point rich thurston was in the band and he had been in terror yeah so i was like whoa this like it was in terror and they had signed to indecision yeah who ended up putting out their, their, their CD?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, you know I, those guys, man. We had, <laughs> we had fun. I I still hear from Zach, every now and then. Like I'll see him I've uh, on social media, but like I don't know. Like his I remember his brother was in the band. I haven't seen anything of him. And the drummer Robbie, right? Don wasn't that his name? Yeah, yeah. His name is Robert Halford right. Wright or whatever uh no idea where he is um tony the singer no idea where he is john i think was the guitar player by the time we toured no idea where he is but they were cool guys if they're listening what's up that was fun um five weeks is a very long time to be out in a third tier band uh third tier band we are not making your guarantee every night i would advise against it for anybody that um is trying to start a band um but we did it and uh it was cool to play with them and you know we felt kind of like oh are on indecision like that's kind of cool like because to me like i was like indecision had death by stereo and count me out and time flies and you know so much good stuff the unbroken discography and um so it was a real trip uh to to do shows with them and we were super psyched at that time because the more things change had come out, and I was just so proud of that record.
0: Yeah, Indecision is definitely one of my favorite labels, and I'm actually going back to Count Me Out again, thinking about I listened to one of your guys. I'm I'm not that that far ahead and where it went, probably like 15 or 20 episodes. So I listened to one of these recently where you guys were talking about. Uh, I'm more of a 110 guy. I know you guys were talking about like 110 versus Permanent on one of the episodes, and 110 mm-hmm. uh, is one of my favorite hardcore albums, though. Honestly, so it's uh, I great. like my- I
2: just. I like Permanent better. Yeah, I like but that. The fact that Javier agrees with me leads me to believe that I'm definitely, this is a hot take because most people go for 110, but.
1: I once know. got Jason to, uh, I tricked Jason into saying that 110 was his favorite album once. It's like, wait, wait, so, you, so 110 is your favorite? Yes, that's it. Perfect. End of discussion. Like, that's perfect. Great. Thanks, Jason. I think.
2: I mean, I don't want to, I, I think he thinks, you know, I think when you're in the band, it's different. He probably it might have better memories associated with it or whatever. I don't know. But um, yeah. The, yeah. So like, that was the thing, like indecision. And yeah. I remember it kind of being like, maybe we could get on indecision, but that never happened.
1: And then we uh, went out to California and still crossed Dave with Dave Mandela. And he like, nah, sorry, you can't stay here. And I'm
2: like, All right, yeah. that's reasonable. Is, is that when we slept on that. the beach? no that was in
1: florida <laughs> that was in
2: florida that's right yeah oh my god
0: any other now Now california was that the only time you guys made it out there was on that tour or, or was there other times too uh,
2: 2003 oh, and four really um and that's the only time i've been out there i haven't been out since i, I want to change that uh you know but that was i mean that was awesome being a kid from you know I, I didn't come up with money, you know, I think some, like we didn't travel. I had, you know, lower middle-class family. Um, you know, the farthest South I'd been, I'm in Pennsylvania. It was like North Carolina once other than that, it was like Maryland and the farthest North I'd ever been was New York. Uh, so like it was so awesome to be able to do the, the tours and to see California for the first time and like be there because like we were playing shows like that was cool.
0: So it sounds like you're kind of like me and this is obviously going way back to the beginning of the interview though, like but upbringing wise, like for me, like going to hardcore shows and stuff like most of these cities, I had never been anywhere near them before. I'd never been on any kinds of vacations like Same. that, you know, New York, Philly, uh, DC, I, mean, I can name like literally like 20, 30 cities that I went to all because of hardcore that, and even now to this day, like there's, there's like, a, I think it's a terror video they made where it's like, like when I look at a map, when I think of certain cities, like it's all hardcore connections. You know what I mean? Like, obviously there's other, cause I'm a sports fan and like hip hop and stuff. But like usually the first thing I, I revert back to yeah. like, like bands and people that I know they're from there because of hardcore, you know? So, yeah, so
2: I just, I remember driving and like crossing into California yeah. and just as an East coast kid Yeah. that was like surreal, you know? to, and then just being in California, playing it like Gilman, which we didn't do Gilman until the 2004, but like we played Jay cafe in San Diego. And, um, you know, just yeah, like, like I said, being, being in California was wild, you know, like I had never left the time zone until I'd, i um, been in a band. I never was outside of the East coast time zone so that's some good memories of the from the first tour but yeah to california twice and texas twice like all those areas pacific northwest
0: now when, when i had ian courtney on the last episode he was telling some pretty crazy like california band stories like in control die hard youth like were there any crazy like shows or bands that you guys played with out there where the shows were just like totally popping off like because obviously california I've never really been to a hardcore show out there but like from especially watching like those section hate videos and like other videos like you're like it's a little bit different out there you know what i mean like and were any of the shows like really nuts out there or anything like that or
2: and not not that i remember nothing philly's nuts man yeah it's you true. know like like true, yeah. philly has has a great a great scene yeah. and has for years. I mean, from Robbie booking shows to then Joe Hardcore and Bob Wilson. I mean, it's, there, there hasn't really been a beat missed in the last 30 years from yeah. starting with like, you know, the Cabbage Collective and R5. And, and, you know, I'm just talking even just in my lifetime of hardcore, like there was never really that I can think of any like lulls Um, I would say like the pandemic was like the biggest like lull of having shows. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, something that was unavoidable. So like, you know, we've always had crazy, crazy shows. So for us, it was like almost like, let's see if something can top where we're at, you know, like, but the best California memory for me, or one of the funnest is definitely when we went to Rev and we all got the Youth of Today shirts and rolled up to Shea uh, Cafe that night. It was us, Coalition, and Blue Monday, and we all were wearing the the black long sleeve Youth of Today shirts. Which now I'm sure that like particular shirt with a whatever tag it was, Jason would be like, "That's a $75 shirt now, <laughs> or whatever." But like they were, they couldn't give them away. That's what's so funny. They were giving away stuff, like like you know here take this take these shirts take this take this so we all wore them and took that picture outside of rev and that was really fun like just the feeling of like having this giant crew of people and playing that cafe and you know rob moran was there from over my dead body to to hang out and love that guy and you know i was a huge unbroken fan so it was like like Dude, the guy from Unbroken's like here watching our band. Like that's cool. You know, it's San Diego. Um, stuff like that was awesome. And then, of course, playing Gilman was super cool.
0: Donnie, any uh, any any real standouts from those tours? The
1: one set that I remember being like, oh my god, what is going on here? Uh, it was one of the years, I forget which year it was, but we played sync with Cali. Uh I want to say it was with Still Crossed, so it would probably be the 2004 sync with Cali uh, band I'd never heard of before went on right after us, I believe. Uh, they were called Make Move. Uh, never heard of them before. Uh, I believe they only spoke Spanish, and they were the. I remember them. They were the. High, I swear, like the best band i would seen that entire tour, and it was just I was on the floor, just like, wow. So, like, then, like, we are trying to talk to talk to them after the set, and it's, like, it dawned on me. I was, like, oh, English is, like, a second language. So, it's, like, oh, thumbs up. You guys were great. Like, big smile. And, yeah, they were just, like, I'd never heard of them before. Never heard of them since. I think I've seen, like, one or two flyers on random, like, internet, uh, like, Instagram pages with them on it. So, yeah, like, they were the, for me, like, the one band in California where I was, like, yo. That band
0: was awesome. I guess that brings up a good point that I've never really asked a lot of bands because I haven't really talked to too many bands that have would have had that come up. Like, obviously, I'm guessing that's the only time you really would have had like a language barrier. Like, you guys didn't play like Montreal or anything like that ever, right? And like, no,
2: nah, I've never, I've still never left the country, all right. um, which I, you know I'd like to change that as well. Yeah, um, you know, it was the kind of thing where you know the band didn't get to go, and then I had children pretty quickly after the band ended yeah so it was like we have kids it's you can't just travel willy-nilly and now i'm 40 i'm halfway through my life so hopefully the second half i get to you know <laughs> make up for some stuff but yeah no we never had uh you know any like we didn't have to worry about language barrier or anything we could just continue to be the stupid americans that we are <laughs>
0: Yeah. I've, I've always, I've, I think I've mentioned this on here before too. I've, I've always wanted to go to one of those crazy European hardcore festivals, but obviously having kids now <laughs> a couple more years for me to get over there and do something like that, you know, but who knows, maybe I'll bring them over there one year or two or something, you know? So yeah. Um, maybe someday I, one
2: of those festivals will ask us to play Don.
0: That'd be great. That Don, was always I'm my playing. hope. So anyone
2: listening. If, if you I got to it, play some
1: of those crazy uh, European festivals with Reign Supreme when I filled in with them right. a yeah. couple years ago. Uh, Groz Rock was or is Rock. I forget how. I don't know how to pronounce it. but yeah, whatever that to, was. Really. That was huge. There was like two others. One was in. an It was just like this giant auditorium, and the stage was—I swear to God—25 foot long. It was the widest stage I've ever been on, and every every show, every fest was incredible, and everyone would always ask to sample the shirt as in to try it on to see if it fits. So it's like sample. What? Oh, 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 try Yeah, here you go. So that was interesting. Um, and apparently when you get your merch printed over in Europe, it is a vastly different size than American sizes.
0: That's that's weird. And, the, and then Europeans must know that maybe it's like different, uh, like t-shirts printed printed from different companies. It's like, like size differently or something. That's yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I was asked to sample them. That's crazy. I, I get I, it's I, nuts too. Cause like
2: when we we were talking, I was talking to somebody about this, like now and I do it. What's it printed on that never came up before. Yeah. It was just, what sizes do you have? Okay. You have XL here. We'll take, we'll, we'll take it. But now it's like, well, what's it printed on? Is this direct to garment or silk screen? You know, um, stuff we didn't have to worry about in 2003.
0: Yeah. It's, it's definitely a lot of stuff has changed not, not too much more you guys did, I guess. So like, what, 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 what you, you would kind of reference the last uh, record before. Um, so how how did that all come about? And, and were you guys already kind of aware the band was kind of on its final run by that point too, or?
2: Not With the more things change, like the more things change. I think that was when I wanted to ramp up and I was, I was, uh, you know, I think it's, I say famously, cause it's not like, but I like, it's pretty well known that I wasn't happy with the first record, like my vocals on it and stuff over time and hearing this uh the record got remastered and um you know because because compa- so what so what happened just real quick was we recorded everything with dean but the record we did with robbie it's time to believe he got mastered at some like random place whereas like the more things changed, we had alan uh duchess or duchess or however you say it i apologize who's like a you know, big time mastering guy, like literally has won Grammys for his mastering. So like this, you play them back to back and It's Time to Leave just sounded so thin. But this remaster, hearing it and having them all kind of like on the same level, I came to appreciate it a little more. But The More Things Changed I think was the first one where I was like, dude, this, this is a really good record. Like I was like, this is the kind of stuff that I would listen to. So when we did that, I think I was expecting that everyone was going to love it. You know, like I was like, people are going to love this. Like we're going to get we're going to get huge. Like we're going to like people. But I don't know. And it's one of those things where now I have people like, dude, man, I love that record. I, I at the time, you know, we were a band where people loved the demo. People loved that demo so much that it was hard to just move on. And I think when, when it took too long to get that, it's time to believe out. And Jeff Blossett just talked about this with me. He said, he said, I felt like if, if the, if you, if it's time to believe came out a few months sooner and maybe on vinyl too, like who knows, like you would have had more momentum, but we just lost so much momentum. And, you know, Bob Mack did a great job with the CD and then Jeff did the vinyl for the more things change but yeah we didn't know we were and then what we did is we were like gonna you know brian and and the bass player after that 2004 tour the five-week grueling tour we parted ways did he quit did we kick him out i don't even remember i think it was i remember it was kind of mutual but i think i leaned towards we kicked him out um and that was when we became we just you know, it's hard to introduce someone new to a band that has an existing dynamic. So we were just like, Don was like, I'll just play bass. Um, and I remember with the first, it's funny because we played a show after our first show back after tour was in September of 2004 and we played as a four piece. And I remember we played with like cold world and maybe even champion. Like it was like a, a show in the suburbs. It was like a good show and uh, i remember dave sausage was like this is the best you guys have ever sounded because don's a really good bass player and uh you know jude's a very good guitar player who can hold his own um so it was like super tight and our last show was actually one year to the day of when that was last show was september of 2005. um but like we were like all right like we're gonna write an lp like that was the next thing because it's Time to Believe, I think, it's marked as, like, an LP, but it really wasn't. It was, like, eight songs. We were, like, we're going to write, like, a 12-song full length. So that was what we went into Atomic to do at the end of 2004 was demo. Like, that stuff was literally supposed to be, like, demos, which is kind of wild because, like, it was, like, decent studio. Like, it wasn't a demo studio. Like, it was, like, a good studio. And then I think we thought, well, we'll we'll try to get someone to put out the record, so that we can tour um, and maybe we'll do like it as an EP. Like, I think that was the thing we, we thought, like, we'll do a single. And that was why we did the Texas, is the reason cover, because I always loved having like a single where it was like an exclusive track on the B side or whatever. So, yeah, we, w- we went into 2005 thinking like, yeah, we're going to write an LP, but like we wanted to get like a little weirder and incorporate other elements in because I was kind of trying to sing and music was getting a little wilder. And it's so funny now because when I listen to it, I'm like, it's still hardcore. At the time, I think we thought like, you know, people were like, thought it was like rock and roll or something. And I listen now and I'm like, dude, this, these are hardcore songs. Like, this is just melodic hardcore. Like, if the, if our stuff, like the first couple songs on that discography aren't hardcore, then neither is a band like One Step Closer, which you and I all know that's, that's not true they're a hardcore band of
1: course they are
2: like but at the time it was like a big deal because we were just kind of deviated from the you know whatever the total youth crew vibe I mean I'll let Don give his side but basically we kind of knew like when you're we sort of knew at a point you get to a point where you're like we hit the wall like we hit this we 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 did everything we can do besides go to Europe which that wasn't in the cards because we couldn't afford to go and nobody was knocking down our door to go. Um, plus, everybody knows once hardcore bands go to Europe, they usually break up after. We saw all these bands that would like open for us and stuff get signed, you know, because at the time labels mattered. I don't know if they matter as much now. I mean, they still do. Like you see, something's on Triple B, right? You're going to be like, I'm going to check that out because you know they they have a good track record, but you know, we'd see like Bridge Nine was like the hot label then and Death Wish. And it was like all these bands just like, we couldn't, you know, we had our friends do stuff, which we were grateful for, but like, you know, I always wanted a little more and we just were like, you know what, like, let's just stop now before we become like a band where people are just like, why is this band still playing? So we, I think in the spring of 2005, we basically said like, all right, we're not booking any more shows. Posse Numbers was scheduled already. We said, we're doing you know, these shows, we'll play Posse Numbers, and then we're gonna literally just take a break, rehearse. And the last show was scheduled for September of that year. And like the timing for me was perfect because like three weeks later, I found out I was having a kid.
1: So it worked out. So an interesting Jeff Losage story, since we were talking about him earlier, when we recorded all that stuff, the demos for the LP, we were asked by two people to do comps. Jeff was one for Bottled Up Records. I forget what the other one was. I remember they did a seven inch of like, it was like East Coast Bands was going to be the second installment of the comp. All West Coast Bands was the first. Um, I I'm going to say like Tsunami or something. Anyway, both of those labels turned down the songs that we submitted and Jeff, who when he was living near me, I, was, I went over his house. i like, "Yo, man, you get that song? Like, you like it? What? What's up? It's a banger, right?" And he puts his hand on my shoulder and goes, "Don, you do know this is a hardcore comp, right?" I said, get, "God dang it! What? 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 What are you talking about?" He's like, "Dude, it's a hardcore comp. This. This isn't hardcore." And I would bust his chops about that all the time. Like a couple. He likes of, those he,
2: songs now, by the way.
1: Oh, he does. Yeah. Like a year ago, I was talking. He's like, dude, I love that song that you, you gave me. I think it was Meet Me in Montauk was the song for the bottled up comp. And he's just like, yeah, it's great. I'm like, well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. You know,
2: I, I, I felt like, you know, I, I often say and it, it and sometimes, you know, print, what do they say? If it's between printing the truth and print the legend, print the legend. When i swore i remembered even at the first practice like making a joke like like we should just mirror the career of turning point right like yeah. have like raw demo and you know expand on that a little with the next record they get a little more melodic and by the end just be like you know almost emo and that's kind of what we did i was just at that you know i was kind of bored of hardcore like you get that age, I was like 23, 24, you know, you're surrounded by it so much that like, you get kind of sick of it. Like, I I don't know if it's cool to admit that or not, or if it's going to make me sound like, you know, but yeah, it was just like, I was like, I love Youth of Today, but like, I'm also listening to like a lot of, I mean, at that time it was like, I was super into the band Failure. Like we were into Failure. And of course you're into Quicksand. Everybody was into Quicksand and, know i was i mean i was even into stuff like it was before they did concept albums like i was into like the my chemical romance like that was like kind of punk sounding but like you know sounded real big and what like alkaline trio and um him uh and just all this other like stuff um but also like seaweed like that was like when i really got into seaweed and super chunk and you know just all these things and i kind of wanted to be like like i didn't want to just be this in this little box of like straight edge hardcore and um you know in hindsight it's kind of like it didn't sound even that far off but at the same time too it was kind of like i don't know if we needed to necessarily like writing the melodic hardcore stuff would have been fine too you know just to have like more like the more things change but I really like the song that we had that was written for the LP that was never, um, never recorded that we played. It's on the video. If you look at YouTube at the, um, posi numbers, 2005, it's on there. But, um, yeah, like I just kind of wanted to branch out. Like I was trying to learn to sing and write melodies and not just like bark, but, um, I don't know. It wasn't meant to be, uh, you know, I don't know why but hey it is what it is it, it you know it ended up being the way it was supposed to be
0: you know it's funny because i had a record label and i feel like a lot of bands that i put out at the time like if they would if it would have been like five years later they would have they would have been a lot more well well received and you were kind of referencing the last era and like bands like one step closer and i heard that band for the first time recently i don't know how you pronounce it coil maybe k-o-y-o you know what i'm talking about they're on i so Yeah, they're like one of those bands too, where they're just like I thought they were going to be like a hardcore band, but they're more just like melodic, like fast, like that, which you would still call it hardcore. So I'm like, twenty years or fifteen years later, I guess you guys would have been like, it would have it would have been perfect, you know what I mean? Like I was just yeah,
2: people people weren't as I think open. You know, it was funny too because we did that the little it was a four song CD we just handed out to friends and sent to labels that had um you know the first four songs that are on the discography it was the two song single with the texas cover and then two unreleased songs that were never officially released but they're online and everything and we had definitely people like oh man no nah. i like the demo know uh, play the demo do the you know play just play the demo blah 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 but then at the same time i'm not saying at all that like we were the catalyst of this but like you had like all of a sudden it was like mental you know got a little more like that planet mental record had like a song that kind of sounded like meet me in montauk uh, i'm they probably they were writing it i'm sure either before we did or after whatever uh,
1: so i sent one of those promos to locking out records as a joke because i knew that like we're not a cool band and they would never be interested in us i sent them one of the promos and then, strangely, like you just said, on when Planet Mental came out, it's like, oh, yeah, that song was like,
2: yep. So, hey, I mean, I'm flattered. I was Justin Nduki and Greg, I uh, they were always cool. If somehow that promo seeped into their subconscious and made them, you know, play that riff, I've, God, that's fucking awesome. But uh, yeah, and Blacklisted, you know, and Blacklisted started getting a little weirder and to me better, like that was more interesting to me than like the early stuff. Like I thought the, you know, once once Blacklisted kind of rebooted after the original lineup, I thought they did all their best stuff. But now I think people are more, yeah, like more open. Like when I heard One Step Closer, I was like, I love this. But I was like, this is like a hype band that really, I was like, they just kind of sound like With Honor which at the time like straight up hardcore kids didn't like with honor yeah like, they weren't cool you know and now i think people are kind of more open like you said to the idea that like hardcore i mean you have a band like one step closer and you have a band like jesus peace and everything in between and you know people are a little more open-minded but yeah sometimes i think that too like we were ahead of the time and sometimes i think like you know i can only speak like Maybe if we were like, I like, a, like, you know, some fat slobs singing, like trying to sing, like not everybody wants to see that. Like, who knows? Maybe if I look like Brad Pitt, we would have been popular. I don't know. You know, but, um, I'm proud of what we did and, uh, you know, p- playing and getting to do this discography and having the first pressing sell out was crazy. So at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, no regrets.
0: Is there anything else you guys want to touch on with, with the end of the band or anything like that before I start asking you guys, like kind of like, like, not not wrap up, but like follow up stuff types things, I guess?
2: Just like the last show was cool. What? The last, I mean, we did two reunion shows.
0: Yeah. What? Um, Actually tell me about the last show, come to think of it, like, what was the lineup and like, how did that all come together?
2: I think a lot of it was done, but like we wanted to play with bands that we liked, like we wanted to hand pick the lineup and like towards the end of the band we became really cool with um crime and stereo guys and i liked what they were doing because i thought they were also doing something kind of outside of the norm for hardcore and they were super just super fun guys um we played with them a bunch and they did something on walk all night so we got them and i was head over heels over um the band renee heartfelt um, who weren't a hardcore band, but they came from the hardcore scene. And um, so I knew we wanted them. We wanted the distance because I, those guys too, like same thing. It was like we were in a cool spot where like our friends were doing awesome band. Like the bands we liked were also really cool people. And the, the people we liked were also doing really cool bands, like that kind of thing. But the distance I remember weren't able to make it. And we had Down to Nothing, who played our first show. It was just it was it was definitely weird like because i had never done a band that did a last show like that knew it was the last show but this is the first time that like i knew like this is you know you're on stage and you're like okay this is the last time i'm gonna get to say this or this is the last time we're gonna play this song or whatever and it was uh we played again as a four piece and it was it was it was weird but you know unfortunately it was like I had to go home and get to work the next day or whatever. I think the show was on a Sunday and it was like that part of my life was over. But at the same time, I was thinking about this. This is before I knew I was having a kid. I just thought, well, I'm going to do another band. Like, I just kind of thought like, you know, go time bled right into this. And now like, okay, I'm going to do something else. And Don and I had actually been jamming um, to do something a little different and it just never went anywhere. And then, you know found out I was having a kid and here we are now. But we we did do two reunion shows, one in 2007 and one in 2010. And then we were supposed to play for the discography uh, in October. And then we decided to pull out of those and wait a little bit till hopefully the world's in a bit better of a spot, so.
0: Donnie, I guess before we jump into like follow up type stuff, uh, any thoughts on the last show and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that sticks out the most in my mind was we opened up with the Judge song, which we were a band that always played covers. And it's like, it's always funny when when you're in the band, you're like, dude, we're going to play this cover. People are going to go ape shit. It's going to be wild. How can people not go off to Judge? Like, it's fucking Judge. So. I was the one that started the song off. So it's like, no one's moving. Everyone's got their arms crossed. Like, what the fuck is going on? Played the entire song and there was one person moshing. And it was Mark Antonio. Oh, two people. Mark Antonio and Lee. And you know, it sucked
2: because we put a lot of thought. Like, if you listen to the lyrics of that song, um, and it's funny that, you know, years later, I do a podcast called Where It Went, but, you know, I've said Mike judges lyrics I think are thinker, excellent, especially on that LP. It's like, it's emo, you know, it's, it's just as emotional as, you know, writes a spring or, or any of that stuff. And that song, I just thought, what a great way to start off um, this final set, like, that's like a great kind of goodbye, like reflective type song. And I'm like, people are going to get it, man. Like, we're going <laughs> to play it. And people are going to be like, I know why they chose this. And then, yeah, nobody cared.
1: And then the best part of that is after the Judge song was over, we go into our first song, which I believe was the song One Up. Or, yeah, it was One Up. And kids went bananas. Yeah, it was like, like
2: the reverse of what what always usually happened.
1: Yeah. So that was actually really cool, but, like, really weird at the same time. Um, I how'd just, you
2: feel at the end of that?
1: Oh, I went into the alley around the corner and cried because a huge part of my life was over. So I can say that I do remember, well, at the time I can remember the last time I cried.
2: Yeah, it was heavy. Like it was like, you know, cause when, I think when you're in it before you knew, like, I remember just being like, we're going to be doing this forever. You know, when you're a kid, I was like 21. I'm like, we'll be like sick of it all. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work out like that, like, like uh, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, and I remember I'd started a new job and I would first, that was like when I first was not living at home and it was it was a wild time.
0: Uh, episode 50 of my podcast, which has definitely been a, a, a project, is gonna be top 50 breakdowns with a friend of mine and I, uh, kind of making our own list and putting them together and i can safely say that where it went is definitely uh highly up on my list right now to, uh, easily in the top 10 probably it might make the top five you know and, and, and a spoiler alert as of right now my list is, is basically top 12 new york hardcore breakdowns too so um okay. it's not it's not really on purpose it's just the way it's kind of working for itself. a second
2: i thought you're gonna put us on the spot and ask us what our favorite breakdown is oh you can
0: tell me if you want uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say what mine is obviously um but um, you guys can tell me yours if you want. Donnie's already got his, so go ahead.
1: When things go wrong by outburst.
0: Dude, that's a good choice, man. I uh I have some outburst on on in, in in potentially in the top fifty, but that song's not on there right now, but I might go revisit them now because you mentioned that. But there are definitely there's a couple outburst songs I had in mind. So um not probably not top twenty right now though. <laughs> is it is it hackney to say bad brains, right brigade? Well they're a DC bands, so yeah. Do I need to do the episode now? I'm I'm considering that that New York though, because they were banned by DC now. Do I do I am I oh, still doing... you're
2: saying top New York breakdowns?
0: Am I still doing the episode though? Because I'm considering them New York, obviously, if I'm kind of spoiling uh <laughs> that's that's Yeah, my... I mean that's number not... one for me. That's, that's yeah. number one for me all day. Like I'm I guess that is a spoiler alert, but yeah, that's definitely my, my top breakdown easily.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's not so it's not uh it's not it's it's a bit hacking. I'm trying to think of like an underrated breakdown. Maybe something by Brotherhood. I always thought they were uh, underrated and had some hard, hard shit. Um, But uh, yeah, no, the last show was... I I, I was glad at how it turned out, though. Like, it wasn't... We didn't play to an empty room. It was at the church. Um, All our friends were there. And it was cool.
0: Now, at the time... I feel like now, especially like within the last 10 years, whenever a band says they're breaking up or going on hiatus, like we all kind of know, like, you, you know where I'm going with this. Like, but at the time, like you guys, were you guys thinking like, we'll, we'll get, we'll do some shows down the road or was it like this, this is over? Nah,
2: we, we actually, I remember talking maybe with Jude and he, I think we were, he was like, let's make a promise to never do a reunion show. And I was like, all right. And then two years later, literally, like, we already did another one. Um, you know, when Robbie's uh, mom passed away, there's we, d- we did our own little, like, pre-show benefit because he did those floor punch shows. And uh, we did that, and that was super fun.
0: I feel kind of awkward telling this story now because you're kind of – but it's a funny story, and I, I, get, I forget to tell it earlier when I, we were talking about the booking shows aspect, um, Jude – you guys probably won't remember this at all. I don't even know why I really remember it, but I, two of the times I booked you guys, I had an apartment in the suburbs of Rochester and you guys stayed there. And at some point, I come into my living room or some shit and one of you guys is like, oh, yo, Jude farted on your couch. I remember that. That's, I hate to say that when I think of
2: you, that's the first thing I think of is Jude saying, I'm sorry, I farted on your couch.
0: Yeah, and that was the thing too. Like, I don't know if I like was a dick about it or like didn't like play it off as funny. Like, I don't, like i'm i don't i don't i'm not really down with other people farting i guess but like we all fart you know and i was like i, I wasn't like offended by it but then donnie emails me about playing there again probably the Co- the coalition uh desperate message show and, and one of the things i remember him putting in the email is like you know are you down with having us play again uh we'll try not to have jude fart on your couch or some shit like that you know and it was like <laughs> this kind of like running joke where you guys like kept like brought it up again the next time you guys played there and i was like I, I, I was like, not offended by it, but I think you guys thought that I was type thing. Or whatever. We were,
2: we were just so full of inside jokes, yeah, like stupid, you know, stupid humor that only the four of us or five of us at the time found funny. You know, we were like, like we, you know, one of the, actually one of the catalysts for me being like, Hey, I, I, I want to do this discography was, um, the insight from salt lake city they you know they had the seven inch on victory and um you know some of them went on to be an ice burn and then eventually you know uh jets to brazil and uh, um you know handsome and all this other stuff but uh they were talking and they just rem- it reminded me so much of us, like they weren't necessarily the most popular band of that era but they had really good songs and they were just friends that like to laugh and goof around. And they said how like people almost wouldn't want that, want them staying uh, at their place. Cause they would be the ones up all night, just laughing and, you know, not going to sleep. And that was, that was us. Like we used to just, you know, a lot of us too have very dark humor. So we you know, make a lot of inappropriate jokes and things like that. Um, that we can still laugh about now, but yeah, we just, we just, were lots of just goofing around.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Cause I tell people now too, like that they won't get my sense of humor. And I think a lot of it is like just that weird inside joke type thing that we all kind of have. Yeah. Um, but, but Jude, if you're listening, I guess I was, I was not offended by it. And in the event that one up wants to play Rochester during the reunion era, uh, just don't fart on my couch or anything. And you guys are more than welcome. You know, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> you better listen, you
0: yeah. Nah. Um yeah so, no, Jude,
2: I know Jude, I he, that was oh we used to do so. we had s- just so many so many inside jokes and uh you know all the you know the other two you know Don Jude and Fidge have just a great sense of humor and uh, you know just always fun. I mean we still have fun when we get together.
0: Um, so Before we talk about the discography, kind of keeping with the timeline style that I like to do with these, Um, Donnie, you talked about touring with Rain Supreme a little bit. Um, What other bands have you guys done uh, since 1UP, if you guys want to mention any?
1: So for me, the first band that, uh, the first band we did after 1UP was a band called Crumbler, which Jeff Losage also put the 7 Inch Out on Bottle Up Records. Uh, That was me on guitar, Jude on guitar our friend John Murphy on drums, and then the two one-up roadies, Larry and Clint, who played bass in R- Rain Supreme after that. That was that band. Uh, we did... And I just
2: interject and say, that 7-inch is great. Like, if you... Um, I don't know if it's on Discogs or whatever. I'm going to actually look while while Don keeps going. But, like, I remember I was, like, super stoked on it. Like, And uh, they you know played a bunch of local shows but um it was a really good um the I really liked the the demo and then the 7-inch uh the 7-inch was called dirty weeks and it's got uh son of sam on the front cover <laughs> and it looks like there's copies on you know I might have to order one of these uh it looks like there's a bunch of copies on discogs but, um, really cool record. it was like a little a lot more punk than one up, I think and uh larry i I love Larry's voice um and I did get to do backups on the on that seven inch um which was cool so I just thought I would tell people seek it out and that was actually recorded by will Yip, who ended up becoming like producer yeah. du jour. Uh, and mastered, I'm looking now, Alan, Alan Duchess again. So it sounds great too.
1: So yeah, Crumbler.
0: Earlier bands that recorded with him probably than down here.
1: I know that he, this was when he was not working out of Studio 4. He was actually in this spot. It was like a rehearsal spot. And he had a room where he did recording that was right near one of the prisons off of 95 uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but Yeah. And then he eventually moved and started working with Phil Niccolo at Studio Four, which is where he's at now. And I I believe he's, he's, I think he's like part, like, you know, partner. Part owner. owner. Yeah. Something like that.
2: Yo, sit and spin records in Philly as a copy. And I was just there on clear. If I would have seen it, I would have gotten it. Um, It's on Discogs. But yeah, that that was a, I was, I was stoked because, you know, once uh, that demo came out, I think in 2006, right? When my, oldest Jude also named Jude uh was born and that was like it kind of kept me in the loop having these guys still doing a band because like when he was I was pretty out of out of it and it was kind of cool that you know and to see Donnie and 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 Jude playing together and Larry and Clint and and, you know John um that was that, that was fun and then uh so go on, Don.
1: Any other bands, Donnie? Uh well, after that band broke up, then Greg did a band uh, with basically all the same dudes called aneurysm rats, if he wants to tell you about that.
2: Yeah, because it was like we kind of ping-ponged, right? Because then Quiet Arcs was after aneurysm rats, right? Yeah. yeah. So basically Crumbler, Crumbler never like broke up, but I just think it was kind of like, you know, fizzled, like as these things do. And then in 2008, you know, at this point at my Jude was like a year and a half old and I was like, all right, like I had the itch to do something, nothing crazy, but like, you know, I wanted to do a band with Larry. So Larry would sing and I was like, I'll play guitar. I haven't played guitar in a long time. And, um, me and Larry had this idea for, for this band and, uh, we got Kenny, uh, Kenny, uh, is, like kenny's like one of the most ken madden uh one of the most amazing dudes just so easygoing and but just a sick drummer hard hitting and uh he had filled in for one up when fidge had a hernia so we knew him already and um he was totally down to play and then we got jude wasn't in it at first and then jude miller uh we needed a bass player and we had a couple people try out and i was like why don't we just ask jude to play and jude jude miller joined on bass and then uh colin mcginnis who was in Paint It black and none more black and go for the throat and he had later on filled in for h2o and stuff uh he played guitar and we we tried to write songs i'm not a songwriter i can write vocal melodies to music all day that's fine but like a song from beginning to end no so colin just had this like stockpile of riffs and songs so very quickly we had 12 songs and we went in with Will Yip. we were one of the first groups to do it at the studio for and we did this lp called dying to live um it was a one-sided 12 inch we had no demo like colin was just like yo why don't we just like immediately debut with an album so we did that. And it's like, that's a tough sell, like a band nobody's heard of to um put out this album. And it, I think it sounds really good. I like the songs a lot. It's a one-sided 12-inch with uh like a silk screened B-side. Uh it was on a label um that uh our friend Dom did. Uh who, you know, now he Dom like goes out on tour with Bay side and stuff. Um and I am totally drawing a blank on the label name. I'm embarrassed. But uh you know, we did that for maybe a year, like it wasn't too long, like I think we started in the beginning of oh eight, maybe two years, and then by the end of two thousand nine, we um you know played a show and again, never announced it was our last show or anything, but you know scheduling uh didn't uh didn't work out, right um. And then we were like, well, let's try to start something new. Like, cause Colin was, I, th- I think at that point, Colin had started going out with H2O. So that was why, so we're like, all right, well, we want to still play, but, um, <laughs> I think I did one practice and then they ended up, I think, replacing me with Dom. And then that's how quiet arcs came to be.
0: Real quick, before you talk about that, Donnie, uh, it's so it's so funny all these weird coincidences with hardcore. I um, I just posted a flyer yesterday of, of a, another uh, attempt at a fest that I booked the year before the one you guys played in two thousand two, and uh, Go for the Thrill played that. And oh really? Colin was such a sweetheart. I love that guy. He was such a good dude. I, I booked them at least two or three times here, and like I I, I was thinking about that like posting the flyer yesterday and a couple other times thinking about their band like real good dude. I mean I I don't need to tell you that you know that obviously so
2: yeah i mean and he dude he came in i mean he came in with full full songs like you can't beat that like he basically came and and had you know completed uh songs it was assassinated records i had to look it up sorry dom um and there is a copy for five dollars on discogs it's a i thought it was a great record i had almost nothing to do with it besides playing guitar on most of it but like due to time, I think there was some stuff I couldn't play. I don't remember exactly what song, but I play guitar basically on the whole thing. I think there's like one song I don't, but um, it's a cool little record. If you like like fast thrashy punk, Um, it was kind of cool to do a band with no agenda, like not like
0: we're a straight edge band or we're this, like it was just like fucking whatever. This episode is now sponsored by Discogs too. Apparently, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm
2: all over Discogs. Yeah, I see I that
0: problem. Donny, you want to you want to uh, talk about the next one you did after that then? Yeah. So after Anir's and Rats, then
1: same dudes as uh, it was. Quite awesome. that was uh, Jude Miller on guitar, uh, me on guitar. Oh no, no, no! I'm sorry. I was on bass. Uh, this guy, Jack Drummond, who played in Ama Conrad on guitar, Kenny Madden on drums, and Larry singing. So it's kind of like you find the group of dudes that like you jive with and you gel with very well. And we just did like 10 years of bands with them between like three different bands. Um, so that, that was that. We put out a bunch of records. Um, most of it was just online releases, though. Uh, we did self-release one seven-inch And uh, yeah, we did like somehow everything was on Bandcamp or or whatever was the streaming service at the time that everyone was using. Um, So yeah, that was that was that other band. All the bands kind of fizzled out. Like for me, with um with Crumbler, I was in a bad spot with uh, like you know whatever my personal life was going on at the time. So like I lost interest in doing the band. And then with Quiet Arcs, it's like I kind of lost interest in the band. And both of those bands. It, they never broke up. They never had, like, a last show or anything. But it was all because of, like... I was just like, oh, I'm not interested in this anymore. And I dragged my feet. And then eventually the band would just stop being a band. So I'm the one to blame for both of those bands breaking up.
0: Any other any other bands of note that you guys have done since... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um. Yeah.
2: um. The um, So I thought I was done. Like, I was like, I'm not doing... You know, we did... So we did the reunion in 2007 uh, and then we did the reunion in, I'm sorry, we did the reunion in 2007, then we did aneurysm rats. Um, and then uh, we did a reunion in 2010. And then I was like, that that's it. I'm not like, I would try to do things here and there, never got off the ground. And then, when those guys were doing quiet arcs they played with this band called easy creatures that were like um some older guys from delaware uh that were in band <clears throat> were in a bunch of like old jade tree bands with like Jade tree records uh the, they were in the band walleye some of them and a band called railhead um way more on like the dc hardcore tip melodic uh you know post hardcore like in fact as we're recording this, my time hop reminded me that seven years ago today was when I had, uh, it was announced that I joined the band officially, or maybe it was yesterday. And like the influences at that time before I joined, it was like, you know, Dag Nasty, Lungfish, Laughing Hyenas, like, you know, it was like totally different. To me, it reminded me like I, they had a demo and it reminded me a little like Sam I Am, Seaweed, like that kind of stuff and um you know i remember when quiet arcs played with them i think they larry sent me a demo and was like you should check these guys out i think you like them and i dug it and then a couple months later he's like hey remember that band like they're looking for a singer and i i think you should do it and i was like huh, no and he's like i don't know man i really think like you'd be a good fit like you know thinking i guess about like the end of um one up and uh I went, all right, I really liked the stuff and I thought it'd be something different. And at that point, like my mom had passed away and I was like, you know, I got to like, you know, life short, you got to, you know, don't, don't necessarily like turn down something that could be a cool opportunity. And I thought, Hey, you know, I I went and tried out. I was like, well, at the very least I go and meet these guys and they're older than me and They could tell me some cool stories about back in the day and whatever and you know i tried out and it was a different approach to singing than i'd ever done it was like my take was uh if you listen to the easy creatures demo and the song that they did uh for a split on jumpstart records with um all eyes west my friend jeff dean's band the singer shane i thought had an awesome voice he would like sing and then he'd like scream and my thing was like well if i do it like i just want to do like a little gritty but like clean singing so like i took it serious i took singing lessons and everything you know they tried out me and someone else and so for a couple weeks i was going once a week and like one night they were trying me and then another they were trying someone else and uh then like yeah, around the end of November, they said, Do you want to join? I said, absolutely. And we did uh an EP on self-aware records out of uh North Carolina. Um a really cool little label run by uh, my friend Josh and uh his wife Sarah. And um we did on like cassette. And then we did a couple songs for a comp. They did this like four way split 12 inch. Um, And that was another thing. It just kind of fizzled out. It's tough, you know, people that are uh, in their thirties and forties, like families, it's tough to find time. You know, everyone has real lives and careers and stuff like that. It's, It's tough to do something. It's definitely tough to do something new. I mean, shit. To get together to practice for like these reunion shows was a feat in and of itself and, and that's with like existing songbook where you don't have to worry about like writing and really doing all this so if you're doing a band and you have to actually write songs it takes a lot of time so i joined in the fall of 2014 and we mostly just played local like we played you know, and then uh, we ended in 2017. And we just kind of decided like, all right, like what else can we do? We, we you know, but it was super fun. And um, I still talk to this guy's actually uh, Jeff, the drummer drums for a great, great new-ish band uh, called Bitter Branches that are on Equal Vision now. It's uh, Tim Singer from Dead Guy and No Escape and everything and uh their album that's going to be coming out is super fucking good like heavy and weird and um noisy and melodic and all these things so he's doing that and then mark the guitar player just opened an amazing vegan restaurant called primary plant-based uh in philadelphia that i finally had a chance to try uh this past weekend and uh so like yeah i made some lifelong friends from doing that so i'm really glad that uh larry you know got my foot in the door with that because and then you know the bass player joey well he played guitar and then moved to bass. uh he runs a skate shop uh, in newark delaware called switch and uh, he's a great dude too so it was cool to make some friends make some new friends and uh you know to do a band where you're singing and not just yelling was cool to be able to like sort of stay in key and everything was fun.
0: Yeah. I'm curious about the singing lessons, I guess, too. How long did you take this for a long time or.
2: So there was a, basically when I joined, I said, look guys, I, I I'm taking this seriously. Like I want to, you know, but I, I'm going to learn how to sing. This is okay. And uh, Mark had hooked me up with a friend of his, I guess that he knew just from being in the city or in, in the restaurant business. And, um, I basically this guy, he was awesome. And uh, it was like, he basically had a program where it's like, if you take four lessons, you will kind of get the gist of, of what needs to be done. So i maybe took four or five or six or something. And um, I would definitely recommend anybody to, to do it with someone in your area but you want to do it with someone that knows your style of music. Like you don't want to just go to like the local music store and, you know, cause you know, as hardcore people, we hear easy creatures are like, Oh my God, this is like singing. Like, and then they just hear this noise. You know what I mean? In fact, I remember Dan Mills telling us like he tried to take vocal lessons and he was explaining to the lady Dan, <clears throat> Dan Mills from cold world. And I'll never forget. He was telling us, he's like, And I told her like that we kind of like scream and she's like, oh, like like the boss, like Bruce Springsteen. And he's like, no, like, so you want. So at least the guy I went to knew, you know, punk and post-punk and um, but, you know, they teach you breathing techniques and warm ups. I'd say the most important thing I learned was how to warm up your voice. And uh, knowing that, like, losing your voice is not like a good singer never loses their voice because you know how to use the proper breathing and the proper um singing techniques where you're not gonna you're not gonna lose your voice
0: that takes me back to john joseph's book um what's like i'm drawing a blank on it now what's the book called uh it's like life stories his memoir uh evolution of a cromagnon yeah uh, he talks about like 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 being prepared for vocals and stuff on one of the albums on that and i remember reading about that and, and it was just like just thinking about what but his process was just crazy, you know, like running and just getting in shape and shit and versus like, he was talking shit about the way Harley was like not ready to do it or whatever. And it was like, I've always thought about then since then, like what process all these different vocalists must have to go through. And then to, like you said, not to lose your voice and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cause especially if you're trying to sing and you're trying to hit notes, like there's nothing more embarrassing than like trying to hit a note and either falling completely flat or having your voice crack.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine like on the the first G B seven inch for like half a seven inch.
2: <laughs> but see that works because it was like what I'm saying, like you're trying to like sing and like oh, belt yeah. it out, you know, it's like Yeah,
0: yeah I get what you're cool. saying. Um Donnie, any other any other bands for you aside from the, the Rain Supreme work that you did there? Yeah, that, that was about it because
1: once Quiet Arcs was over, actually no, there's a band in between. Uh there's a band called Accident Prone that I played in. I played guitar in that band. Rick Jefferson from Drug Test, the singer from Drug Test played bass. A uh, friend Mark Antonio played drums. Who's now in Dividing Line. Who's, yeah, now in Dividing Line. Yeah. Uh, they asked me to play, but again, I was like, I'm not doing music anymore, but that band's awesome. And I, I wish I was stoked on playing music because I would have jumped at that chance when they asked me, but thankfully they... uh. They didn't keep asking me, and they they found the person for their band. Who dividing is, line uh, did? Which is good, but, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, that's nice yeah. They, they asked me very early on if I would want to be in the band, but I was like, I don't want to do music anymore. It's not my passion. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, like but yeah, like accident prone was. Uh, yeah, accident prone was the other band I did in between. I want to say it was like after one up, after crumbler it was accident prone then quiet arcs yeah it was for a european tour when clint couldn't do it because he was he he was a teacher he's a ap physics teacher at academy of Plumbo in philly and it was during the school year so he couldn't do it uh i also played bass in a band called cop problem which was like a, a crusty db band which the main thing is, Clint played bass in the band originally. Then he's like, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. And kind of uh, pawned it off on me, as he says. And uh, <laughs> that was a really cool band. We did a set, uh, Mike Barone, who does Grandcore House, uh, the vegan cafe, uh, coffee shop in Philly. It's his record label that that 7-inch was released on. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the label. Um, but yeah, that, we did a 7-inch and then, then I like quit that band, and then after all of that, I think, yeah, that was uh, those were the last couple of bands I did. We
2: we said you know for us really all all four of us in one up, like that's the ideal situation. Like to get your to get your rocks off. Like if you want to play music, it's like because everything's already there. Like it's just a matter of remembering and showing up like that's the most I can do. Like I, I don't have it in me to devote to like a new, like creative endeavor, but like, I will say without giving too much of a spoiler, like I mentioned that song, um, about, uh, you know, the last song we wrote that wasn't recorded, like that will get recorded. Um, and that's kind of all I'll say. That's a little. That's a little. No, Don's like. Was I not supposed to say that? No,
1: no, uh, I mean, yes. That's perfectly fine. Uh, yeah. I was originally I wanted to cutting. have it on
2: the discography. Like I wanted to do kind of like Instead did, where they like had those last couple songs that they never recorded. So when they did that discography on Indecision, they um, you know, recorded them and threw them on the beginning of the discography, but we, due to time limitations, because the instead was a double LP, like we we were doing a single LP, so it was like, no, so there is a plan to do that, but even that, even if you're writing a couple songs, like, it's not like we're going to be every week having to like write songs and arrange them, like, I don't have it in me to do that, but I definitely would like to, you know, hey, a couple tracks or whatever is cool um so there are some there are some plans and uh i guess that's all i can say for
1: now
0: and i think that pretty much would jump in there's only i only have a few more things to ask you guys really um that jumps in to the questions about the discography i guess how did that all come about like just the idea of doing the discography at all i guess like like to take me through the whole process i guess
2: so that's where that's where i guess all of a sudden the balance of Work from Don doing everything, and then like you know, Don's sort of pass the torch to me indirectly because none of us were doing anything because we weren't a real band. But uh you know, I had started the Instagram um because I started finding all these old pictures, and I was like, I'll, I'll do like you know the the One Up Instagram at One Up HC. You know, I was doing that, and then I said, like, I started to think about archiving. You know and i thought well this is the bi- this to me was the biggest thing i was a part of and it's not really cataloged you know like we were bef- we were in that weird blip of time where we were in the digital age but we weren't in the digital age and we weren't in the social media like social media wasn't a thing like so there's not nearly as many pictures of us as say like you know um a band like um drain or something you know i'm just using them as an example current band so i was like well we'll do this instagram and then i was like well all this our best record's not available to script to stream so i put that up and then i was like well i may as well put up the other stuff so i put that up and we were excited about that and that was kind of it and i don't I, as i talked about earlier like i always wanted jeff Lossage to do a discography i was like i was like i want a discography on vinyl because it's time to believe was never pressed to vinyl. Um, the two unreleased songs weren't. And I just thought as a consumer, I thought about like what I like, because I buy a lot of vinyl and I was like, I would love to have like a discography with like new artwork and cool liner notes and stuff. And uh, you know, I've been friends with Joe uh, Kosemka who does hell Minded records and he does um, he does uh, the Trenton punk rock flea market. And he does, uh, he just opened a sh- uh, shop in the Trenton farmer's market called Out of Step. Um, and he's just one of the just nicest dudes. Like just, I don't know, I love him. I had dinner with him last week when I went to uh, pick up the vinyl. And he's just like, just such a cool guy. And just, um, you know, he does Hell Minded. I, you know, they put out Shades Apart, who i love they they put out the latest shades apart album and crossed keys and like really everything he'd done i was like oh my god every record's like cool like the cross keys record's cool and the uh school drug seven inch and even like second arrows who are a little more on the metallic side like that's a cool record and and he posted a thing that he was looking for bands and like jokingly i like said like hey you should do the one-up discography this was around this time last year thank you know around thanksgiving He's like, okay, and I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, let's do it. And literally like within two hours, he'd sent me like a contract. And I say contract, it was just basically saying like, here, you know, this is, you know, saying that we're not gonna like take the masters or whatever, you know? And it was crazy. I was like working at my job, working remotely as most of us were doing, especially in 2020. And, you know, digitally signing a contract for, the discography and then we announced it and now here we are a year later and we have it and I mean it's Like Jason from count me out did the design and he just knocked it out of the park like I, I told him I was like honestly I was like Jason people are buying this just because of the artwork like it looks that good and then you know I, my thing again was I said when I get a record, especially a discography like I want I want there to be goodies inside So there's like pictures and there's, um, you know, all the lyrics and the studio credits and everyone got thanks lists like everything I like to read when I get a record and then We had friends write stuff. It came out great and we're sold out of the first press. There will be a second press early next year and um, next year is also the 20 year anniversary of the demo and I would love to play a couple gigs. uh, if The world allows but um, yeah, it's been great. Hell-minded. So stoked to be a part of the, uh, the hell-minded family. And he's got some other cool stuff on the horizon too.
0: You guys could have snuck in those cut the tension uh, books in there too, I guess. In the... yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So basically, in other words, it was just me kind of being uh, joking around, but being serious and that like, I wanted to archive it. I wanted to have this You know, like I look at like discord and how, you know, Ian MacKay like they'll, they'll do a release of like, and I like artificial peace, but it's like, you don't hear people talk about artificial peace, like how they talk about minor threat, but I think it's awesome that you can get their entire recorded output on a record because discord thought hey this is something like years down the line like we want people to know this existed and that's kind of where i was with this i was like i wanted you know down the line it would be cool if someone was like oh i see this band's name on flyers you know like what are they like and uh it's nice that you can now get it in all one little nice package
0: what I thought was really cool recently, this is totally random too, but I was on Instagram and Tara posted like some random old picture from like 15 years ago, maybe. And it was like some kid stage diving, he had on a one up shirt. And it was like, a yeah. Show, you know? I love that. Like seeing shit like that is just so cool. And that, again, it's like only in hardcore. Like you'll just stick the random connections with like bands and stuff, you know? Well, it's like
2: we're, I think we're, we're at the age now too where we're like a little more, you know, nostalgic like you know kind of like it's almost like wow that was like 20 years ago so it's like now it's like you know in 2010 we did the reunion or whatever that would not have been the right time to put out this and i think if we would have done it we would have sold 40 copies which was what i thought was going to happen with this but i think enough times passed and with like the you know the different artwork because my thing was with the artwork was i said i said i don't I don't want it to look like a youth crew record. Like I don't want it just to be like a live shot with you know whatever. And um, my again, I was thinking of the turning point discography. I love how it looks, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't look like a straight edge hardcore band. So Jason killed it, you know and. It's it's awesome. The shirts came out great, so yeah, I'm
0: stoked. Yeah, Turning Point is definitely a band that comes to mind a lot. Like both times when you mentioned just now with the layout and earlier when talking about the the different sounds, there's the first band I was thinking of too. So with the shows, is that something you guys are just going to keep kind of waiting until you you're, you're like you're more confident that everything's safe to do it and everything?
2: Well, that and nobody's asked. You know, I used to joke all the time. I used to say like, somebody, "When are you guys going to play?" I'm like, "Nobody's asked." Because, right, you know, Javier on the podcast, and and he's always said, if you don't ask, the answer's always no. So, it's like, you got to think, like, some of these bands you never thought would reunite, somebody had to ask.
0: Yeah.
2: Right? If nobody ever asked Judge to play, would Judge have ever gotten back together? I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. People asked, and eventually... You know, some bands are quicker to like. You know, if someone asks us and, and it's this opportunity makes sense and it's feasible, we'll do it. But sometimes you got to ask more than once or a dozen times. You know, God, think of how many times judges probably asked over the years before they did it. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm down. I'm I'm down because uh, you know my my thing is, and it's for selfish reasons. Sure, uh, one is that it's just super fun. And two is like, I have, you know, while my kids still might think I'm cool, like it would be neat if they could see it other than just like videos and they're old enough where they clearly remember. Cause by the time we play, I'll have a 16 year old and a 12 year old, you know? Um, So that was my line of thinking was like, it would be cool if my kids could see. So hopefully we can do, you know, in the spring for the 20 year anniversary, I think it would be cool. to do something so we'll see
0: yeah you still,
2: about... still rehearse yeah you know since this we said well we may as well just get together every couple weeks and keep you know get get limber
0: you're talking about the kids and the archiving though is it's it's something i think about a lot and i've been thinking about it lately too with doing this podcast it's one of the main reasons why i do this podcast too is like so when my son gets older he can just if he wants to obviously it'll be so easy if, if he asks any questions about the music i've been into and all the people that He's heard about like here you go you know here's the whole story yeah. and like so many people with like instagram websites and stuff like it's just so cool seeing all these different like historical like sites for hardcore now to check out the history and stuff you know like it's 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 needed you know personally i had hoped to be doing shows again by this point too but i'm in the i was in the same place as you guys like a few months back i was like i don't i don't feel like it's i don't feel right doing them yet like i've been to a few shows and i mean i've worn a mask the whole time like i don't really care if anybody cares or doesn't care if I do, I still do it, you know, but um, I personally feel okay going to the shows with that aspect and I am vaccinated, but I would feel like a dick if I did a show and got somebody sick or like there was some sort of argument about the vaccinations. So I've just been waiting. Yeah, it's
2: tough. I've been to, you know, I I went to, I saw rock shows and I had my man, you know, I saw Quicksand and I saw Bob Mould and I saw Dinosaur Jr. And they were all you know vax required masks in some cases required in some cases strongly encouraged and i wore mine the whole time but then i was at a couple hardcore shows and one i, I didn't make it in because i didn't feel comfortable and another one i didn't really feel comfortable and i left after the first uh band and it, you know that's that's my own personal yeah. thing because again it's not just me i have a house and i have a wife and i have kids and i don't want to get anybody sick and and, you know we're all vaccinated my wife and i have the boosters but still you know on on the side of caution and with us it was like there was that real exciting time in like may when everyone started getting vaccinated where it seemed like oh my god you know we're gonna it's gonna everything's gonna go back to normal like that so things were getting scheduled and we agreed to do those shows and we announced them and then it seemed like very quickly after it was announced, like, maybe it wasn't the best idea. Um, And, you know, this isn't our job. So if people don't feel comfortable, and it's not fun, and people are stressed about it. I don't want to do it so we just kind of agreed like and that includes like our all, all of our extended families girlfriends wives children like if they're not comfortable with us doing it then we're not going to do it and you know um so we just decided yeah now's not the time there will be a time and that's why we've still been like you know we've gotten together three or four times and we're supposed to next week as of this and you know just to kind of keep the rust off And go from there. But yeah, if people are listening, I mean, you know, obviously for the most part, we're going to stay in the area of like, you know, within a couple hours, but um, you know, if the opportunity is right, we'll go farther, but we just need, you know, the right, the right, the right opportunity has got to come along. Yeah. And I don't know how in demand someone like us is, (laughs) but you never know.
0: Yeah, I haven't, I haven't really divulged too much information yet, but I am, I am working on one thing currently, which hopefully we'll be, uh, saying something around New Year's Eve. We'll see. And then I do want to actually like do a bunch of hardcore shows next year, but we'll see, you know, how everything looks. And I feel like this was one of the more in-depth, uh, interviews that I've done, but is there anything with like one up and any everything like that, that we haven't discussed that you guys feel like needed to be discussed? Nah, just Thanks
2: thank you to everybody you know that, that if you made it this far and listening to us talk and you know just people that have been I've been getting pictures of people getting the records and it's like it's just such a trip because a year ago I wouldn't have thought that would be a thing where like I'd be getting pictures of like this you know dare I say it like beautiful looking record that like we were a part of and like People are now asking where can I get it? And I'm like, you're gonna have to wait till the second press. Like that's cool. So that's pretty much it. Yeah. Anybody that's just supported us, uh, and you know, obviously want to thank Jude and Fidge um, for their years of service.
0: Donnie, anything else before my son potentially makes a cameo? Because I've been getting text messages for like an hour that he he wants to, to get to get in here you know i just passed
1: on your podcast taking over the role of being the the head of the band for me uh so it was very nice to just be the dude in the band that just casually just shows up and does this thing it's really nice thank you greg I yeah say, i got to I, do it it for the, years yeah i know <laughs> so you get to experience all the headaches that i used to have also want to thank for for doing the record
2: he was thanking joe from Hellminded. yeah um which again uh jude's parents and jude and jude miller's parents yeah for letting us practice there all the time but yeah that's that's pretty much it if you want to if you want to uh you know have us play or whatever just hit us up message the instagram you know how to find us and uh we'll go from there
0: yeah I think that's a good way to wrap up. Sorry, it looked like Donnie was having a little technical issues at the end there, but I think Greg caught all the stuff that he, the shout outs that Donnie was given there. I'm a good
2: translator. I can translate. I've known Don so long that I could just, even the little blips of him, I was able to just get what uh, he was saying, so.
0: All right, so I guess that's gonna wrap up episode 46. Uh, I wanna thank Donnie and Greg for doing the interview and dealing with all the scheduling issues as always shout out to greg benoit rob antonucci and everybody else for helping with the podcast um and thanks to my family for all the support as always you can find us on the web enterprise hardcore so follow us on instagram at enterprise hardcore podcast thanks again everybody see everyone real soon and stay safe
1: thank you